The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode 44 of Parking the Bus here on the PTB Media Network. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, here with you another night. It's night three of Euro 2020, of course, being played here in the year 2021. It is June the 13th of 2021, to be exact. Three matches to talk about today, England versus Croatia in London, as well as Austria versus North Macedonia, and of course... The big one uh, in the nightcap from Amsterdam from the Johan Cruyff Arena, the Netherlands versus the Ukraine. We're going to talk about all that. And we got a surprise guest here today who, at the 11th hour, was able to move some things around for us and make himself available to join me tonight. Uh, none other than, of course, a very frequent visitor to the podcast. It's uh, BTV's, or better than Vegas's. Uh, Leo Kukaki is better known as at DGN's United. He is on the podcast with me tonight to discuss the three games and to go off track and off topic a number of times, which is always the fun we have when we're we're on these podcasts together. Also, just to let you guys know, a very special exclusive podcast portion tonight. Okay, at the very end, at the very end. For those who are interested, I got a bonus segment that's not available on the video feed, on the live stream, on YouTube, on on www.parkingthebusmedia.com, nowhere else but right here on the podcast. It's my review of day one of Copa America. Okay, I will go down that, and that'll be in the final segment. Okay, it'll it'll sound like the show goes off the air. Okay, I'm gonna say the goodbyes and everything, but stay tight. Don't leave then. Okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play. Memphis Depay's song, Fall Back, okay? Um, it's a, I love that song, and every time Memphis Depay is a big part of the podcast, whether it's Mr. Benfica when he's kicking our you-know-whats in Europe or whether he's you know a, a focal point in a Dutch team here in the Euro, um, I love to play Memphis Depay's music because he's so talented and I like his music. So, so at the end of the regular version of the podcast, you will hear Memphis Depay's song, Fall Back. Do not uh, finish after that or skip ahead if you want. Skip ahead about an hour and 35 minutes and you can go straight to the Copa, the Copa America review because if you've already watched the show, if you watched it live or if you've seen it on YouTube already on demand, by the time you get this podcast, it would have aired and it's um, and been around for a while. So uh, if you've already seen it and you want the exclusive content I talked about, the podcast-exclusive Copa America um, info and review. It is at the end. It is at around the one hour thirty minute mark. So once you he- so you go ahead and skip ahead. If you get to Memphis Depay song, stick with it. Let let it play. And then on the back end of that, you will hear my review of Brazil versus Venezuela and Colombia versus Ecuador. All right, it's day one in Copa America as well today. So so much to talk about. Uh, we're gonna take a real quick break pay a bill here and on the other side 
we're going to have uh, about an hour and a half conversation with myself and Leo from Better Than Vegas breaking down today's three matches, talking about them. We'll even preview tomorrow's matches, which I don't normally do, but that's I let the show go where the show went today naturally. It was all organic. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Hope you enjoy some of the laughter and some of the off-topic stuff we venture into as you get to know us a little bit better and get to know our personalities a little bit better and our sense of humor. All right, this is the Mr. Mike Augustine. You don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at PTB underscore media. Please go to the youtube page ptb media network and subscribe all right and if you want to watch a rolling list of all of these euro 2020 specific episodes i've got the playlist playing in the main page right on the front page of www.parkingthebusmedia.com you can also find it in the blog section as well all right so every time a new video uploads uh, it goes right into that, right onto that screen, and you can scroll through the different episodes right there on on the page on the homepage there on www.parkinthebusmedia.com. We'll be right back, all right, with this episode. It's night three, Euro 2020. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode 44 of Parking the Bus here on the PTB Media Network. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, here with you another night. It's night three of Euro 2020, of course, being played here in the year 2021. It is June the 13th of 2021, to be exact. Three matches to talk about today, England versus Croatia in London, as well as Austria versus North Macedonia, and of course... The big one uh, in the nightcap from Amsterdam from the Johan Cruyff Arena, the Netherlands versus the Ukraine. We're going to talk about all that. And we got a surprise guest here today who, at the 11th hour, was able to move some things around for us and make himself available to join me tonight. Uh, none other than, of course, a very frequent visitor to the podcast. It's uh, BTV's or Better Than Vegas's. Uh, Leo Kukaki is better known as at DGN's United. He is on the podcast with me tonight to discuss the three games and to go off track and off topic a number of times, which is always the fun we have when we're we're on these podcasts together. Also, just to let you guys know, a very special exclusive podcast portion tonight. Okay, at the very end, at the very end. For those who are interested, I got a bonus segment that's not available on the video feed, on the live stream, on YouTube, on on www.parkingthebusmedia.com, nowhere else but right here on the podcast. It's my review of day one of Cop America. Okay, I will go down that, and that'll be in the final segment. Okay, it'll it'll sound like the show goes off the air. Okay, I'm gonna say the goodbyes and everything, but stay tight. Don't leave then. Okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play. Memphis Depay's song "Fallback." Okay, um, it's a, I love that song, and every time Memphis Depay is a big part of the podcast, whether it's Mr. Benfica when he's kicking our, you know, what's in, in Europe, or whether he's, you know, a a focal point in a Dutch team here in the Euro, um, I love to play Memphis Depay's music because he's so talented, and I like his music. So, so at the end of the regular version. Of the podcast, you will hear Memphis Depay's song, Fallback. Do not uh, finish after that or skip ahead if you want. Skip ahead about an hour and 35 minutes and you can go straight to the Copa, the Copa America review because if you've already watched the show, if you watched it live or if you've seen it on YouTube already on demand, by the time you get this podcast, it would have aired and it's um, 
and been around for a while. So uh, if you've already seen it and you want the exclusive content I talked about, the podcast exclusive Copa America um, info and review, it is at the end. It is at around the one hour, 30 minute mark. So once you hear, so you go ahead and skip ahead. If you get to Memphis to Pie song, stick with it. Let let it play, and then on the back end of that, you will hear my review of Brazil versus Venezuela and Colombia versus Ecuador. All right, it's day one in Copa America as well today. So so much to talk about. Uh, we're gonna take a real quick break, pay a bill here, and on the other side, we're gonna have uh, about an hour and a half conversation with myself. And Leo from Better Than Vegas breaking down today's three matches, talking about them. We'll even preview tomorrow's matches, which I don't normally do, but that's I let the show go where the show went today naturally. It was all organic. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Hope you enjoy some of the laughter and some of the off-topic stuff we venture into as you get to know us a little bit better and get to know our personalities a little bit better and our sense of humor. All right. This is the Mr. Mike Augustine. You don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at PTB underscore media. Please go to the YouTube page, PTB Media Network, and subscribe. All right. And if you want to watch a rolling list of all of these Euro 2020 specific episodes, I've got the playlist playing in the main page, right on the front page of www.parkingthebusmedia.com. You can also find it in the blog section as well, all right? So every time a new video uploads, uh, it goes right into that, right onto that screen, and you can scroll through the different episodes right there on on the page, on the homepage there on www.parkingthebusmedia.com. We'll be right back, all right, with this episode. It's night three, Euro 2020. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? How's everybody doing? Oh, you hear that? Guess who? Guess who's back in the house for episode 44? Day three of Euro 2020. Go ahead and introduce yourself, brother. Man, y'all already know who it is. This is your boy, Leo. I'm one of the OGs here on the Park in the Bus podcast. Me and Mr. Benfica, all right? The <laughs> Capitano, the Mike Agustinho. What's up, buddy? How we doing, dude? Dude, can we ask for anything better than all this football that we're getting right now? It's like an overdose, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I, dude, seriously, though, like five games a day spaced out correctly, <laughs> I mean, from a degenerate perspective, sign me up, coach. It's just a fan perspective that enjoys a nice tickle all day. I'm in, baby. I'm in. Yeah, I think I think we live in the perfect time zone here on the East Coast of the U.S. because we get games from 9 a.m. until like 9 p.m. Yeah, dude. Like 9 a.m. is like the perfect start time, too, because you get to wake up a minute, get to go get your coffee. You know, if some of us like actually have some work to get done in the mornings, like we do at Better Than Dot Vegas, you know, your boy's up there. He's getting those spreadsheets all updated and stuff. So, yeah, man, for 9 a.m., perfect time. Sign me up, baby. Yeah, this has been great. I mean, day three today, and I think we got the best match of the tournament so far This uh, in the late cap tonight. Um I thought that Netherlands Ukraine was was a cracker. It was pretty awesome to watch. And just when you thought, you know, it was going to be a smooth sailing coast uh, of a victory for the Netherlands, the Ukraine comes back. I will get into that in 
just a little bit, but um, let's start with the news of the day. All right, we got an update on Christian Erickson. Um, and ESPN has reported. I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen for you guys. Um, as we talked about yesterday, and as basically, unless you're living under a rock, you're aware, uh, Christian Erickson collapsed yesterday on the pitch, playing um, just before halftime, playing for Denmark. And it looked real bad, let's be honest. And there you see here, this is courtesy of ESPN. I shouldn't have that video there. There we go. Uh, the headline says that Christian Erickson was, it says right here, was gone before he was resuscitated. That's the key. So we do know now cardiac arrest was the culprit. And we know that, um, well, they acted real quick. And I, I can't even imagine uh, what would have happened if, it, if they didn't react exactly when they did. And we would have had a real tragedy on our hands, like I said yesterday. And selfishly, I think it's okay to say this 24 hours later. Could have ruined this tournament for everybody, um, obviously, because who would really want to care about any of this had somebody died in the right in in you know in playing it? Um, the news today is good. I mean, we don't know when he's going to play again. Um, that's not really that important right now. Have the two of us discussed this privately in a text message? Uh, I think we, we, we have with, with very far apart, um, hours apart in responses. So it's usually how we do it these days. Yeah. You know, we were both doing our thing and just <laughs> life um, is, is crazy, but yeah. So I know we got a lot of stuff to go over today. What yeah, were your quick thoughts on this? Dude, again, I, I turned back to, to 2004 watching Benfica play against Vitoria Gimenez and Miki Ferrer, our Hungarian striker. Laughs off a referee giving him a yellow card and then drops dead right there. I mean, he literally, the last thing he did was was laugh at the referee and then he fell. And um, seeing that live, you know, I thought I'd saw it again. I mean, it looked it looked bad. When you see the players holding up towels to, I understand what they're doing. They're blocking cameras access to a player being treated. But it looks, it, I don't know, to me it looked like they're covering a corpse, like at a crime scene. It was the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, yeah, it, you, it was absolutely like the the worst part of that, in the part where like I completely lost all control of my emotions, was the second that his wife gets on the that, pitch and he's she's bawling her eyes out, and it and, was and just, Michael is is trying to console her. It's dude. Like, I mean, like it was so bad to the point where I legitimately had Finland in this game. And I didn't watch from the restart. I couldn't watch it anymore. UEFA absolutely botched it. Um, but the real part that I want to talk about is Taylor Twalman. Did you hear Taylor Twalman during this? I don't recall what he said. No, I, I think I was so caught up in what was going on that I was not uh, so remembering anything lot of, they were saying. He's getting a lot of flack because people are talking like, oh, well, Taylor Twelman said that, you know, it's a hard issue and, you know, um, that that's really irresponsible of him. I have no problem with that. I have no problem because, you know what, number one, he was right. Number two, I mean, come on, guys. We all knew it was something serious. Like, I don't mind him right speculating. Away. And he even prefaced it with, hey, I just spoke to a doctor and he's the one that really just broke it down for me and this is what he said. Yeah, so I have no problem with homework. that. My problem with him is that he was questioning the the medics for getting out there, and he even timed it out and said a minute and forty eight seconds before they started doing something to Christian Erickson. Mm -hmm. 
that minute 48 seconds it took them from Anthony Taylor's whistle, which again, we had no idea if Christian Erickson had hit his head, if it was, no. you know, you know. So they get out there, they sprint across the field. Now, I'm a big boy. I know it takes me at least like 10 seconds to get on the other side of the field, 10 seconds to catch my breath, unload those bags. Like, you're, you're a good 30 seconds in, right? So after that, so it literally took them a minute, minute 20 seconds to diagnose this guy and to, and to get it right, no less, and pretty yeah. much save this guy's life. Um, oh, the defibrillator saved his life. Un unbelievable the fact that like they were able to do this and they were able to literally save a man's life and that was the worst thing i've ever seen on the field in uefa i got one thing to say about this uh you guys we we talk about this all the time with athletes um where you know if they hurt their leg or something like that you need the coach to come in and say hey you're not playing okay we're gonna save you we're gonna we're gonna protect you from yourself mm -hmm. uefa UEFA, UEFA. The fact that you left this up to the players, you are you are the worst organization. I mean, you guys are almost as bad as the NCAA. And anybody that watches me on BTV, you know how much I hate the NCAA. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. You know, it, you make a good point, and I don't know. I've, I'm hearing different conflicting information, but I'm from what I'm understanding, the players were somewhat given a choice between having played then or playing today, and they felt today would be worse. Because they um, wouldn't sleep last night. I think this is what I my first reaction was is you have an off day at the end of the group stage. Let's finish it then. Let's give them the next five days off until they play their group second group game. Let's play the third group game and then play this in the in the off day at the end of the group stage. You have a, a half to play essentially. I mean, the thing that really just bothered me was just the fact that it was like you know, in that locker room, we've all been in like locker rooms, and you know, obviously. Oh no, question! I talked about extent. last night how tight locker rooms are, it, and why you're seeing his teammates on other teams now, you know, struggling to 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 continue with this tournament. But you know that in that locker room, you had a veteran. And I'm not saying it was Casper Schmeichel, but let's say it's somebody to the importance of Casper Schmeichel standing up and saying, "Hey, let's go play this one for Christian." Okay, let's get out there and let's do it. You know, his intentions are pure and his intentions are good. And then you have a 22-year-old like Vind. And again, I'm just using these guys as an example. Yeah, I think Thomas Delaney actually did did carry out that role in the Denmark painful. locker room. But like if that kid is not like mentally prepared to go out there, he's not going to stand up and say, no, I don't want to go play. Because again, no, he doesn't want to be the one the, the weak one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like we, uh, it's just it, it was difficult to watch. It was a difficult situation. Um, generally, pretty happy for Finland, but not under these circumstances. Like it, it was just an absolute mess. And they didn't look all that happy to to have won, and they hardly celebrated their goal. And how can you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was. I told you it was to the point where like I I didn't even watch the second half. I was so angry at the fact that they were even coming out there to play the second half mm -hmm. that I went for a run and I barely even watched the Belgium game. And it was just, it was just brutal, brutal, brutal day. Yeah, I, I agree. It took it took all the air out of the tires for those second matches, for those late matches yesterday. Um, but thankfully, everything was okay. And I think we got the moment of the tournament with both sets of fans celebrating it when they heard yeah. that he was all right. And I think that was that was pretty awesome. There's your your feel good moment of the tournament to know that everything was okay and the tragedy was avoided. And I'm sure now, you know, with all these tests they're going to run, they're going to figure out what caused this and uh, figure out what's next for him. But um, I'm sure.
his wife is very happy that he's still with us. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. But uh three games today, dude. Three yeah, games. absolutely. Um let, let's get into it then. Let's start with the early one. Let's go to England versus um Croatia early this morning. And um well I'll go through the lineups. I have them in front of me unless unless you have them there. Uh yeah, I actually got them right here. Uh, okay. So- uh you want to do Croatia and I'll do England. Sounds good to me. You pulling them up? Yeah, I've got them. I'm looking at him also. Do it up, baby. All right. So, Croatia in goal. You have Livakovic. Then you got Versalenko, Vidra, uh, Kalatrakar. You got some other dude as a left back I've never heard of, nor can I pronounce his name. Vardy goal, maybe. There we go. Thank you. Vardyol, something like that. Close enough. And then you got an awesome midfield. You got Brozovic, Kovicic, Modric. Up top, you got Kramaric, Rebic, and then Ivan Perisic. All these guys, veterans, except for that back line and the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, interesting lineup for Croatia, but the real interesting part was England, which uh, you may take away. Yeah, I'll give you the 11, then I'll get your thoughts on it, because I, I have my own thoughts too. So Jordy Pickford's the goalkeeper, of course. Kyle Walker, John Stones. We got Mings here uh, partnering with John Stones. And Kieran Trippier on the left. And then you've got Raheem Sterling, Mason Mount. Uh, you've got... Is it Declan Rice? Is that his first name? Yep. And then you got Phillips, who ends up being the man of the match, according to the analytics sheet I'm looking at. Foden and Harry Kane uh, starting as the striker. So those are the 11 for England. Uh, What do you think about that 11? Uh, Terrible 11. I mean, like one of the worst 11s that he could have put out there. I mean, not the worst 11, but like uh, you're starting Calvin Phillips over Bellingham. Excuse me? Uh, Bellingham's 17 years old, and Bellingham is going to be one of the best midfielders in the world in about, what, three, four years? This mm-hmm. kid's a superstar in the freaking making. You have him on the bench. And then to start Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling over Rashford, I mean, that that was a bit mind-blowing for me. And then the one other real big second guess I have is starting Kieran Trippier as a left back when you have Luke Shaw, who, I mean, I'm not a huge, huge fan of, but has been pretty good. And like way above average over the last couple of years for England. So you're starting somebody out of position rather than a really good left back. Um, overall, that tells me that Gary Southgate is extremely nervous and uh, he is setting England up for doom. I agree with almost everything you said there. I, uh, so I'm glad to find out right away. I'm not the first one that thinks it's crazy that Bellingham was left out of the 11 and Sancho not even in the 23 to dress. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. even a substitute. Yeah. And that, that baffles me. And I, I was expecting Trippier to start because uh, I've been listening to talk sport. I've been listening to the English radio all week and it sounded like that's where he was going to go. He was always going to go with that. And um, well, I mean, I, I prefer him to Luke Shaw to be honest with you, but, I, I see everything you're saying. It makes sense. And and Luke Shaw's a natural left back. Trippier plays on the right. But, you know, uh, I guess a guy who won La Liga has carries a little clout in this locker room. But I, I, if not for that selection, I'd say, does Garrett Southgate have a problem with the guys that don't play in England? Yes. I mean, that is really... It, it, it appears like... that way, right? Is this the old, you know, Premier League elitist, elitism oh, uh, showing up here? Is why are people carrying three goalies and not just two? They've they've always carried three goalies since it's gone to twenty three. But that's stupid. 
When the well, hell do you ever need three goalies in a match? World Cup 2014, Portugal used all three goalies. No, they they got to carry three for the tournament. Yeah, I yeah, see what so, you're saying. Then why not dropping one of the goalkeepers, right? In yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, so that that makes sense. Yes, addressed. yes, that you may that with that I agree with you. Um, for the game day squads, this is the first time in a while where they actually have to select players to drop on game day because for years now it's been you carry 23 and 23 dress, but now you carry 26 and 23 dress, yeah. and the decision was even easier for for Southgate because Harry Maguire was not fit to play. So there's your scratch. Unexplainably, yeah. he scratches Jaden Sancho, which I, I don't understand. Um, Jack Grealish can't get into the game. Everybody yeah, is is good. blowing him up as the big England, you know, the best true footballer in England. And <laughs> you know, he's got no room in this team. <laughs> you want to know my true thoughts on Jack Grealish? Yeah, I do. He's a perfect fit for Arsenal. He really <laughs> Like, I mean that in literally Our the Arsenal, coolest way Tell possible. me everything I need to know about your opinion then about Jack Grealish. Right there. just He's the perfect fit for Arsenal. The guy that's going to be built up and he's going to be the savior. Kind of like Jack Wilshere. He's like Jack Wilshere. Mm. Um, you know, it just, just go stick him over in Arsenal. Let him be like a 77 in FIFA for the rest of his career. And th- that's it. Let, it. let us be done with him. He's a... Yeah, so I thought that was interesting that we didn't have, you know, the guys we just mentioned. Um, also, you know, disapp- I think a disappointing performance from Harry Kane today. Uh, could have had more from him. I know he took a hard shot into the into the goalpost there. But um, Raheem Sterling picks up the goal. And I was questioning why he whether he was going to be in the He looks dead to me, like in terms of, of fatigue and of stamina. In the Champions you know League final, his legs look like they weighed a, a, a ton. And he looked lighter on his feet today. So he looks like he's recovered a bit. But that goal, what they're not talking about, the movement he made without the ball to put himself in position to get on the end of, of Phillips's pass and to score it. And, I mean, that, that was nearly cut out by the defender. His slide was a, a millisecond too late or, or it would have been blocked. But it, credit to to Raheem Sterling for getting it off on time because he had almost no time to spare and he manages to, you know, get the three points with that goal. Um, what are your thoughts on Raheem Sterling? I know he's from your club. You, you're a Manchester city supporter. So you're obviously happy to see him and Foden in the 11, but uh, am I wrong that, that Raheem Sterling looks tired? Um, I don't know if he looks tired or if he's just really lacking confidence right now. Okay. Like I'm looking fair. at Raheem and for the better part of the last couple months of this regular season, he just looked like he just something's wrong. It may like I'm starting to get the sense that something may actually be wrong in this kid's personal life that we don't know about right now because he just he's completely mentally checked out. And even when Raheem does struggle, which is like pretty frequently at times, he's never looked like this before, where he's just completely dejected and, like, he looks heartbroken. So, like, I can't help but wonder if this kid really has something going on in his personal life that we have no clue about right now. But, you know, a lot of times that is – yeah, a lot of times that is an issue with player when they unexplainably lose form. It is something like that. A lot of times that manifests itself in in poor form. And as viewers, we don't know these things. We're not in their personal life, nor should we be, but – yeah. Um, a lot of times you find out down the road it's something like that going on. But watching Raheem score the game-winning goal today, man, just it made me feel good. And it, like 
Because I want this kid to succeed. Like he he deserves sure. to succeed. He works his ass off for the team. He's a team player. He's not one of these guys that he's not Neymar where you know he's got a two on zero and he's going to be the one taking the shot every time. He has no problem just you know tucking it away for somebody else and saying, "Hey, let's go. We're winning. That's all that matters, man." Like he's a perfect Pep Guardiola guy. Um, and just seeing him score that game winning goal, I hope it gives him the confidence to keep going. I absolutely love Raheem. Yeah, on all, on normal circumstances, I also feel that way. I just feel like I'm not seeing the same Raheem Sterling as of late, and you just gave good reasons as to why. I thought maybe that's where we were going to see Sancho at some point in this match before I realized he wasn't even on the substitutes bench. But um, <laughs> off the bench, we got Marcus Rashford coming in early. Uh, what did you think of that switch from Garrett Southgate? Uh, I mean, I liked it from Southgate. I thought Rashford should have been starting. I mean, I, I'm a big Mason Mount guy. I was on him from last year when Lampard mm-hmm. was the coach. I said this dude's going to be legit, and he is legit. Um, but, I mean, Mac- Marcus Rashford kind of feels like Captain England. Like, he's the he's the Manchester United boy. He's the golden child of uh, Man U. And, like, Man U, while we all can't stand them, except for you, of course, because, you know, Bruno. But, I have uh, my own issues with them. Don't get <laughs> But, like, I feel like they're still England's top team. Um, they're the most. Especially, especially to everyone else. Yeah, everyone yeah, else yeah. Tied yeah. To England. yeah. Like, all the pink hats in the world know about. Uh, Manchester if they don't know United. anything else about English soccer, they know Manchester United. Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of sad not to see him out there, but he's coming off the bench. He's going to be fine. He'll be starting at some point. Um, I heard people saying that Phil Foden shouldn't have been starting. You people need to go get a sobriety check. Uh, Phil Foden yeah. is legit. He's a superstar. He is he's a monster. Yeah, him and Bellingham are monsters. Yeah, and I'm disappointed we only saw Bellingham for five minutes at the end of the match. Um, enough for him to earn the accolade as youngest player to ever play in a Euro How at convenient. 17 years old in whatever many days. But um, yeah, I agree with you there on on Rashford. I thought that was a that was a good change and. Uh, uh, ironically, uh, you you mentioned Manchester United. This was the first match since 1992 where England did not feature neither a Liverpool or a Manchester United player in their starting eleven. Uh, that's a long time, and uh, well, I think part of it is England's players are playing on more different clubs, and some of them have gone abroad. They're not so concentrated in one or two clubs anymore. And um, I I have to say that this England team uh, has me. Believe in a little bit. The no. fact that they're going to play at home basically throughout. Nope. You're not believing. I'm thinking nope. this could be the, the stars could just align for them. Let me I ask mean, you a question. Let me ahead. ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, your group, Portugal, France, Germany, who's, sure. who's one, who's two, who's three? The way I played it was France, Germany, Portugal. You have Portugal being third? I have myself hoping Portugal finishes third because the road is way better out of third, and that's how I put it. Okay, great. With four points. I have Portugal third with four points. Okay, that's absolute madness. You're thinking with your heart, not with your head. Um, (laughs) Portugal will not be third. It will be Portugal, France, one and two. Germany will be lucky to qualify. Um, So at that point, it will either be France or Portugal going against England in the round of 16. You, you think England's going to beat either of those teams with Gary Southgate trying to figure out, figure it out with Huey, Dewey, and Louie out there? In England? Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, it, 
You make a real good point because these tournaments match up this way. And when you throw 24 teams into the fray, yep. and all of a sudden it's not as simple as just group A faces group B, and you quickly can see each team's path. These third-place teams getting in throw a, throw a wrench in everything. And, um, yeah, I mean, England, France. But, again. What? Because <laughs> I just derailed your entire point. You know damn well. <laughs> then I get past France. You make Portugal. a great point. You do make a great point. <laughs> However, how many times have we watched these tournaments and you get a shocker and somebody is knocked out? Dude. <laughs> the I problem listen. with England I see is their supporters and their press put so much pressure on this team and overrate them so high. We already saw that, though. Like, that that's the thing. Like, today almost certified to me that this team isn't going anywhere because, you know what, Gary Southgate is not ready for this moment. He's not ready to outmanage somebody. Um, I, I just – I mean, I can't reiterate how much – he pulled the Guardiola. He overthought the lineup completely, and he completely botched it. And, like, if he's going to do that the entire tournament, and you know that people are going to have things to say in the media afterwards, yeah, this dude, this is going to be a disaster. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, you make great points, and and I'm not the biggest Garrett Southgate fan. I don't know. I just, I start looking at where these games are being played. And and home teams, we're seeing home teams get advantages. I mean, that, that Netherlands match this afternoon, I mean, that referee was in their pocket, I think. And How do you feel about the home teams? During the Euro. There's too many damn home teams. I'm already seeing that there's too many teams getting home advantages here. And it's 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 affecting it's too many teams are gonna advance too easily, if I feel like it's one thing when you have one home team. But now you have what nine? I don't even mm. know how many home teams we have. I think More than 10. I know there's eleven ten stadiums, but Azerbaijan's not in the tournament. That's so right. there's nobody but Turkey is basically playing at home in Baku. Um, because there's a huge Turkish population there. Those good old Turks. Yeah, <laughs> great, great performance against Italy. Yeah, and yeah, they looked awesome against Italy. They I made Italy. Them. They had me talking about maybe Italy can go all the way on Friday night. Get the after that performance. Stop the nonsense. And I all slowed right. my. You know, I slept on it and slowed my roll, but you know, um, made my father-in-law feel like they got a chance, That's... and that that always bodes well for me. And you know, just agree. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You guys will play Portugal and win. Yeah, that's possible. Hey, you know, um, if... <laughs> but hey, let's talk about Croatia real quick because this Croatian yeah. team, a uh, little bit older than the one that made it to yeah. the final of the World Cup against France, the one where Absolutely. they got destroyed. Um, what'd you think of their performance today? What do you think about them overall in the tournament? Do you see them making noise here? I think we saw what we're going to get for from them. And it's keep it tidy, they're going to try to keep the other team under wraps, try to keep the game in front of them, and hope that they get brilliance from Perisic and from Modric. Um, what know, a mess of a team, huh? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think they peaked in 2018, and it's been three years. They're three years older than they were. That's and they were at that, their I mean, peak. You know, that, and that, I that back line. Look at the back line, huh? Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't look good for the for the red and white checkers there. Um which is bad. I, I enjoy I've enjoyed Croatia's play of you know they're always a team I enjoy watching if nothing else, but that's not what I saw today. I mean yep. they look they look the shell of themselves. I mean or their former selves. And uh re- did they really test Jordan Pickford at any point? No. 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 Well they they would they didn't threaten at all to to equalize. They didn't you didn't see 
a rally after they went behind. They kind of just were like, all right, let. And I think I know why, because with three teams advancing, they're not going to waste their energy in this game. They're going to play, let's keep it 1-0 and keep our goal difference low and hope we'll get points somewhere else. Yep. Because it looked like they were playing to protect a one nothing loss. They, uh, yeah, I mean, I really don't see a whole lot from them. They kind of strike me as a team that is sort of just hoping that they beat Scotland by three goals and hope that's enough. Um, I don't see them making any type of noise. Honestly, it wouldn't shock me if Scotland come out and beat them because this team just... Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, I could see right now, I, I'm i not going to pretend to be an expert on the Czech Republic, but um, I could see Croatia playing like this coming in last. Yeah, I mean, from a degenerate perspective you look at this kind of game from croatia and you say okay um well i mean you probably should have been on this bandwagon a little bit earlier but croatia is a team where the public is going to remember what they did a few years ago in the world cup they're going to be betting on croatia because they're going to see the same exact names not knowing and be disconnected like, to the fact that they're 38 years old yeah exactly so i mean from a dj perspective you definitely want to fade croatia this tournament um you know that kind of I mean, I was kind of surprised that the books had England at minus 200 odds to win this game. Mm. That was a bit surprising to me. I was kind of proud of the books for being so sharp on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Croatia is a team I'm looking to fade this entire tournament. Yeah, so that, you know, that pretty much puts a wrap on England and on Croatia. Yeah, three points to the three Lions, and uh, I guess job done. There's more to play. There's six more matches you know, it will take six more matches, I should say, if they're going to win anything. And, um, you know, you never judge a team by how they start these tournaments. The teams that start hot often aren't there at the end. Yep. And it's the slow starters. They usually find they wear their way to the end of these tournaments. But I, I think they're going to be happy. What's real funny about English fans is before the game, they're like, oh, we suck. We're shite. They win one nothing, <laughs> and it's coming home. It's coming home. I mean, dude, they're, they're just – they're brutal. They're brutal. I mean – during i'm trying to think of this i love their passion don't get me wrong i love the way they support the sport and the way they support their 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 national team um they don't bring any club division into their national team which most countries do most countries yeah. come into these and they root for the players from their club in the national team while complaining about the ones from their rivals they you don't see any of that from england <laughs> I... they're very much england fans I completely agree, and we are both guilty of this. We we are both completely. Oh, I guilty I, of this. I don't try to admit. I don't try to say otherwise. I mean, <laughs> like I wish I was a better person, but like every time I see like Fortuny doing something from Olympiacos, he has like this much of a leash before I'm yelling at him, calling him a fucking prick, and everything else that we should not say on this podcast. <laughs> but like, <laughs> and I know you're the same way with Porto, dude. You're just like I fucking hate you guys, and like I have dude. a really, really. How do you say I have a really, really love-hate relationship with Pep because ah that guy. Uh, there's a le when he's wearing the national team shirt, I like him to a point. <laughs> he has the ability to be the best player on the pitch, especially defensively. And that friendly with Spain, he was a monster. But he is also very likely to lose it. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'll never forget World Cup 2016. Was it 2014 when he, you know, he headbutts Thomas Mueller. It wasn't much, but enough to completely derail the whole World Cup for, for, for them. Yeah. Red yep. card in what? The 15th, 20th minute of a match. Yep. Play down 10 against Germany, who went on to win the the, the tournament. I think it was 4-0, wasn't it? It was 4 nothing, And that, that goal difference basically knocked us out. 
if, yeah, if not right. for that goal difference, we advance. We advance instead of the United States in that tournament. That's we went right. out on goal difference. Jermaine Jones, I forgot about that one. Yeah. What a what a crack. You guys went out to the USA. Ugh. Well, we also put the USA in by beating Ghana. Because Ghana oh, was about right. to go through. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but speaking of shitty teams, uh, how about the second game? You got North Macedonia in Austria. I mean, I was kind of, I was really pulling for the dog here. I was, I like this North Macedonia team. Yeah, I, my heart, I put them in my heart, also picked them to finish third, hoping they would advance. <laughs> That's not going to, this was the game they had to win, I think, if they were going to do that. Honestly, I had them tying this one, tying the next game and hoping for the best in the third, and maybe two yeah. points will get you through in this stupid system, but, uh, yeah, 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 I got, no. I got it. Uh, I got the, <laughs> the the low down up here. So it's the uh, National Arena in Bucharest, Romania. Nine thousand eighty-two fans in the in attendance, and uh, we can look at the lineups real quick. I'm not going to pretend to know all of these players from these two teams, but uh, <laughs> and I'm going to have a real hard time pronouncing these north macedonia names you have it you have better luck with those names they're uh, closer to your language than mine no but i can uh, i can bullshit <laughs> my way through this lineup all right let's see what we got here goalkeeper you got dmitrievsky yeah dmitrievsky uh, yep he was actually fantastic in this match we'll talk about him in a second right back yeah. you got nikolov then you got ristovsky then you got velkovsky musiliu elioski elmas adimi Berardi, uh, Pendef, the star player, and yeah, that's uh, that's the guy I would have named before the match. Pendef, <laughs> and I had to do research on the rest. Yeah, <laughs> how's your uh, how's your pronunciation with uh, with uh, Austria? You want me to take that one? Too? Let's find out. No, let's see what we got. We got Bachman, <laughs> Bachman's in goal. They're playing three five one one. Uh, the three in the back is Alexander Dragovic, David Alaba, and Martin Hintrager. Five in midfield. The wingbacks are Stefan Leiner and Andreas Ulmer. Uh, three in midfield. So we have Christoph Baumgartner in the in the center, anchoring with Conrad Leimer to his his right and Xaver Schlager to his left. Marcel Sabitzer is in front of him in the number ten behind Sasha Kalidzic. Well done. Look yeah. at you. Uh, as I'm reading the names, I know more. I know more of those names than I thought I would. I've heard of almost all of those guys, so that's a good, good start oh, to this one. Um, and no disrespect to either one of these teams, but uh, they are much less known. Obviously, maybe is there a match with two lesser known teams in this entire tournament? Um, it's definitely possible. We we got some real shit teams here. <laughs> Thanks to the Nations League. <laughs> good old Nations League, where hey, Greece but couldn't. Let, let's pause for a second, and, and we talked about this, both you and I, on this podcast when we talked about Nations League. And when these teams were playing in it, we were excited about how these teams were going to come into this tournament and inject some interest. So I think they've done I'm, that, to be honest. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was actually really excited to watch this one. I mean, I was also watching the French Open final. Um where Tsitsipad decided to blow two sets to love lead. Uh, but I did catch the last half hour of this. It was actually sure. pretty fun to watch until the last, till that second goal went in. Mm-hmm. And then Marko Anjatovic, I mean, like, is there a bigger, like, lesser-known prick than this guy? Like, he, he's such a world-renowned prick. 
Like he scores a goal where Macedonia goes the like completely just botches. Arnautovic literally did nothing to score this goal other than go around the goalie and like gently pass it in. Mm-hmm. And even then, like the the defender was this close to getting it, and then he's sitting there and he's like, "Go, go, go, go!" Like, like, bro. And then he hurts his knee on top. Like, you are such a douche, canoe. Like, what a douche. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, yeah. It, you hit all the important parts there on him. Uh, <laughs> I I'm love how you're still so here, Here's our goal scorers. Liner in the Stefan Liner in the 18th minute, he scores on an assist from Marcel Sabitzer in the 28th. Goran pa- uh, Pandev equalizes for North Macedonia, and then second half, like you said, you get two goals late. 78th for uh, Gregorsic and 89th for Arna Arnatuvo Arnatuvic, and Austria has their first group stage win. You you want you ready for this? First group stage win in a major tournament since World Cup Italia '90. I mean, this Austria team, we've been waiting for them. I mean, we talked about them, I believe, in 2016, where they were supposed to be this, you know, this up-and-coming team, and they're supposed to shock everybody. And that was when David Alaba was at the height of his powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marko Ignatovic was at the height of his powers, and they did not do a thing. I believe they tied all three of their games or tied two and lost one. Um, that team sucks. I mean, they, they suck. <laughs> Congrats. You guys beat North Macedonia. You guys needed to score a go-ahead goal in the 80th minute to do so. Um, you, you did it at home, no less. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have much. Well, it was Austria. in Romania. The game was in Romania. Same thing. It might as well have been a home match. <laughs> um, not a fan of this team. I do not think that they're going far. I think that they got blessed with a great group here. Um but I still have them finishing third. I, I don't I don't like this team. I don't think they're very good. I think that they have two players, and like when your best player is a left back, yeah, no, can't really do much. Ask Canada. Well, they don't play him as a left back. They have a little bit of intelligence in Canada. Big win last night. Shout out to the true North Strong and Free. They Over beat Haiti. Haiti. They are 90 minutes away from what used to be called the Hex. It's now the octagonal final in uh, CONCACAF. Did Curacao win last night? What? Curacao won last night? No. Oh, man. Panama won it, I believe. Um, I fell in love with yeah, Curacao oh. in the last Gold Cup. <laughs> yeah, everybody like, liked Curacao. Um, CONCACAF screwed it up and, and basically screwed all the teams not already in the top six. All right, Capitano, we're already 37 minutes into this. We cannot get into how much CONCACAF <laughs> screws everything. Here so, on, on the Euro 2020 show, right? When this podcast gets gets Google searched, you know, 20 years from now, they'll be like, why are they talking about Curacao in Canada? That's what we do here, guys. That's what happens when Leo decides to join the show. We get completely <laughs> off topic. And quite frankly, this has been on topic for us considering our previous so, episodes together. Going back to what you just said about Austria and where you see them finishing. They've got the Netherlands next. Yep. So they're going to Amsterdam to play that. We saw what that crowd is like today. That stadium was not full, but that had to be 60,000 or, or more. Uh, not not 60,000, excuse me, 60% or, or more in that stadium. Um, they're going to face a real road game against a you know a good team that um, is under a lot of pressure, as you could tell today, the way they start to crack. But if they lose, it comes down to a final match against Ukraine. Tough Ukraine, okay? They're not they're not the Ukraine of, you know, 
of Sevchenko's day, but they're they're going to be difficult here. Um, you saw how they can fight back tonight, and how do you, I guess we'll get to that game in do a second. You, I, I won't. I won't. I got a quick question. Yet. Yeah. Do you have a TikTok? Have you ever dabbled no. with TikTok? No, I, I'm too old. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk about that off there. But <laughs> um, so one of the things on TikTok is. Tell me, tell me like you'd know something without using your words and like you do something and like it just kind of explains like this is what I got. So uh, how do you know what's going to happen in Netherlands and Austria and Amsterdam? I'm going to tell you. It's going to be a massacre. It's going to be a fucking massacre. The Austrians suck. They stink. They are terrible. Please continue. All right. So again, I was going to say they lose that. They come into a match with Ukraine. I don't want to have my tournament future on the line in a winner take all sort of match with Ukraine, who tonight showed that they're not an easy out for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to Ukraine and Netherlands in the final match of the night. Uh, the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. And we've got, let's see what the attendance was here. It was only 15,837. It looked like a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, I guess that they're putting, they're doing real good camera shots to make it look fuller than it is. I it think sounds it's just fuller a smaller. Than it I think it's just a smaller. Stadium. It holds like 40. I think it holds. Yeah. So maybe it was close to half full. That makes sense. Hmm. That makes sense, actually. All right. So I'll bring up these lineups here. Um, who do you want to you want to do Netherlands or you want to you want to do Ukraine? Nah, man, I'll get fancy. I'll go with the Ukraine. All right, go right at it. Sevchenko's playing a four-one-two-two-one formation. Oh, oh god! <laughs> All right, uh, in goal you got Bushkin, right back you got Karavayev, uh, center back you got Zebrinini. then you got Metalovenko, then you got as a left back you got Mekolinka, then you got Alexander Zinchenko, baby. I'm going to ask you something about him in a moment. Once oh, be careful because, again, no, we're, it's we're not a bad thing. Concerns. I have something curious I because you know him better than I do. You follow Manchester City very closely. <laughs> On the wing, you got Yarmolenko, who we'll definitely be talking about in a second. Then you got uh, Sidurchak. Then you got Malinovsky, Zubkov, and then Yarmachuk up top for the Ukraine. For the Netherlands in a 3-5-2, this was hilarious. I don't know if you saw this. Pre-game on ESPN, they showed the plane flying over the stadium, and they translated it, and it said Frank, talking to Frank DeBoer, the manager, just go three four three three. <laughs> Frank DeBoer goes three five two. Okay. Yep, sounds Martin, about right. Uh, Skecklenburg is in goal. Julian Timber, Stefan Devril, and Daly Blind are the three in the back. The wing backs are Denzel Dumfries and Patrick Van Aholt. With three in, in the central of midfield, Jorginho Wijnaldum is the captain, playing in the hole. Frankie de Jong to his left, Martin Darun to his right, Woot Weghorst, and the ageless Memphis Depay up front. And you mentioned Manchester United before. Now, here's a guy Manchester United couldn't figure out what to do with, Memphis mm. Depay. Um, and those of you listening to the podcast that are not watching the live stream, you get a special treat at the end of, of the show. And it's not just the Copa America coverage that's going to follow this episode, the bonus content covering Copa America. It's going to be 
some I, I love playing Memphis Depay's rap songs. So you will get a, a Memphis Depay rap song at the end of this episode if you listen to the podcast. So uh, if you're watching tomorrow, go into your podcast player and get that episode. You can hear Memphis Depay's song. But going back, the Netherlands should have made easier work of this. I think they played real well. They missed a whole boatload of chances early on that could have blown this up. They looked a little bit nervous playing at home in front of goal. They looked nervous. But um, I think they benefited a little bit. But let's talk about the first goal if you want. Or Actually, I want to ask you about about um, Zinchenko. Alexander Zinchenko. I notice he's playing in the hole today as a number six, as a holding midfielder. Mm-hmm. Pep starts him as a left back in the Champions League final. Where is Zinchenko's best position? Uh, personally for Zinchenko, he's a number six. There, there's no two ways about it. When he came to us, he wasn't number six. Um, he has gotten thrown into the left back position. He's not good at it. Uh, he's a perfectly fine player, but he's just, a, he's, he's a number six. I mean, that's it. And I think it was evident in the champions league final where everybody just continually talks about, you know, how Gundogan was in the wrong place. No, it was Zinchenko that was in the wrong place there. Zinchenko fell asleep on that goal and it, he's not a left back. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I talked about it at length too. I thought they were both out of position. But so you've got Zinchenko, who's a number six, Rodri, who's a number six, Fernandinho, who's a number six. Yeah. We're getting off topic because now we're going back to Man City. But why was Pep so intent on not having a number six in this match? <sighs> I didn't have a chance to ask anyone this at the time. It's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, okay. this just makes me more baffled that here's another number. So when I saw him line up there, I mean, I, I've been calling for Zinchenko to be a midfielder for years. I've always liked him as a midfielder. I mean, again, I think that he, he wouldn't really get into the team all that much. And to be fair, he is perfectly fine as a left back, but I mean, you, you can't you can't do it like that, you know. He's just he's out of position, the kid. You're you're not doing the kid justice if you don't and have you a left, spot for you him, left, get rid of him. You left Drunkoncello on the bench. Drunkoncello's not a left back either. Right, but he's a better one than he's not Zinchenko. a left back. Stop. Yeah, I, I, I acknowledge we have that. Billions fully. of fucking dollars. Go get a goddamn left back. Go anyway, I really liked Zinchenko you. today. The reason I asked you this is I really liked his game today. Yeah, and Fatmov exactly. here has him as the highest-rated player on the Ukraine outside of the goal scorer, uh, of one of the goal scorers here. But I thought he was really good in that role, mm-hmm. cutting out passes and starting. You know, when when Ukraine did build up, he he was the starting piece a lot of the time. I really yeah. liked him in that position. He's he's truly perfectly fine. He's not that great. Also, we have a goal in the. In the Copa America, I think, maybe. Hold on. Stay tuned. Please, you keep talking. I'll let you know. I was going to go to the first the first goal now because... Oh, just kidding. By the way, no goal. Actually, hold on. Maybe. What in the world? Please continue. I'll let you know. We're going to skip to the second half, okay? Um, Nil-nil at halftime. It's all Netherlands in the first half, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh of course, Sevchenko's forced to make a substitute within, I don't know, what was it, the first couple of minutes. He makes a substitute in the 13th minute. On comes Marlos, off comes an injured Zubov. 
And I was I almost got on this a moment ago when I was talking about Ukraine being, you know, a, a gritty team. Marlos has the very unfortunate uh, tag of being a player who was substituted in and out of the same match today. Yeah, I mean, very, very interesting. Marlos is I've never been a huge fan of his. He doesn't really excite me as a player. Um, I really liked him at Shakhtar Donetsk when I saw them play. But this was, I'm going back two seasons now. This is great, by the way. VAR has completely botched this. Oh, really? This is 1,000% a goal. We've seen a lot of that lately. I mean, this this is not remotely close. I mean, like <laughs> ten, six players are offside, and the only ones that were onside were the guys that actually touched the ball. Yeah, the ref oh. just got word. It's a goal. Goal, Columbia. There you go. Look at you did, guys figuring it out. Did they do like Mexico and try to block the referee's view of the screen? No. That was my no, no, favorite no, no. part of the Nations League final. <laughs> Ridiculous, dude. Absolutely insane. Oh, I just got the alert that that it's a goal. Okay. Yeah. So back to, to this match here, okay? Marlos comes on in the 13th. He's off in the 64th. Now, it was a little bit of a flurry here. It starts at minute 52. And when... When Aldum ends up getting the goal, but it is, I believe it's Dumfries coming down the right that breaks into the box, plays a nice ball across the face of goal. And the goalkeeper here, um, Bushkan, he comes out and for some unexplicable reason, when there's no one around him, parries it right out to where when Aldum is running onto. And yeah, I thought he was really to blame on this goal. I don't know. Did you see it differently? Was was it just no bad for a luck? guy that played for a guy that played pretty well in the first half? I thought he was terrible yeah. in the second half. Yeah, um, he, exactly. And credit to the announcer who was like, you know what? This is exactly what we expect from the Ukraine. We don't know what to expect from them. For half an hour, they're going to be great. For half an hour, they're going to suck. And for half an hour, they're going to be completely average. And that's exactly what they were because it was yeah. literally broken down into like twenty-five minute spurts where, like, twenty-five minutes they were pretty average. Next mm-hmm. 25 minutes, they were pretty bad. Then come out, they score two goals. They look they look like they could go on and win the match. Never mind, just tie it. Um, and then of course they get a goal scored against them. And it was just it was brutal. Yeah, exactly. And I'm one, and then Winaldum with a great finish, by the way. He he puts it up high in the goal where nobody's gonna block it. But I mean, again, I think the goalkeeper, if he does anything else, if he just leaves it there and then picks it up, if he falls on it. Anything but swing his arm and parry it right out, right yep. onto the stride of Jorginho Wijnaldum. And uh, I think that that breaks, you know, the the mental strength a little bit for for a little while for the Ukraine. And, of course, the mental weakness or the mental shot that they took there uh, comes into play again just six minutes later when this time it is Weghorst scoring. He's getting credited with the goal, interestingly enough. This is one where I thought maybe VAR was going to was gonna overturn this. I thought that perhaps the VAR was going to overturn this goal because it looked like uh, Wijnaldum, I think. No, it, was it Dumfries again? Somebody was, was screening the goalie, and he was offside. He looked it, yes. And I think he might have even fouled the defender on his way to goal. Yep. At least in some countries... After reviewing that, they find the slightest touch or the slightest pull, 
and they call a foul. That's not the way VAR is being implemented in this tournament. We've seen it through three days now. VAR yeah. is basically backing up whatever the referee says. That's what we've seen so far. Yep, pretty much. Outside um, of Switzerland having a goal, you know, reverse that was a clear offside. So I think they're really emphasizing that it's, it needs to be a clear and obvious error in order for VAR to to overturn a call on the field, which it, on one hand is good because referees got to start making calls again and stop letting everything go and then waiting for the video monitor to decide if if it's a goal or not. Um, but yes, it looked to me like he was offside afterwards, and I think the ball even hits him. You can even say he's impeding with the goalkeeper. Yeah, there there was like one, three things you could have called there, but VAR actually ends up confirming the goal which surprised me a little bit they drew the lines showing him on side i don't know i have i have trust issues with these lines to be honest with you really um yeah not not like corruption but like just error because these angles are not always perfect and you're freezing the frame when you're freezing when you're freeze framing it okay and you're going down essentially to the centimeter of how who's in front, who's in back, right? There's no more even. It's impossible, right? Because a centimeter is so small. There's mm -hmm. no way you have zero centimeters of difference between two people, mm -hmm. and you're making it that precise on that end. But on the end of where the ball is kicked, every time if you look at it, the screen, the ball is blurry, and you don't know if it's on the player's foot or not. They're um... not zooming it in at that end of the play. And I'm not always convinced they've picked the right frame to study. And I don't okay. know that they possibly can. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where my thought process was like, can they actually do that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, do yeah. they have the technology to do that? Maybe not. Yeah. I kind of lean toward, I don't think that they do. I don't think that they can. Um, overall, I actually like the offside. I, I really like the offside aspect of VAR. Because mm -hmm. unlike most of these calls, there there is no debate to this. I don't care. No, you're either offside say. or you're not. There's no judgment call in there. Yeah, and then the people that are like, "Oh, well, you know, uh, he he's only offside by a centimeter." Like, yo, you're you're offside by a centimeter, bro. Like that's it's it. You're offside. Yeah, and it's because for a hundred years, offside even was considered onside, and a centimeter would be considered even to the naked eye. But once you have this type of technology and this precision. Obviously, like you said, offside is offside. If it's a centimeter, it's a centimeter. Yep. As long for me, my issue is is you got to pick the right frame if you're going to be that precise. Uh, I I agree, um, but it, it kind of goes back to an old tennis term that I like. Mm -hmm. If the ball is if it's one percent on the line, the ball's a hundred percent in. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Though that rule is the same in, in football. If it's a hundred percent, if it's one percent on the line, it's still in play. But, and yeah, that's a good reference because tennis has been doing this longer than, than we have um, with technology and don't seem to mess up as much. <laughs> uh, I think don't... it's the amount of errors we're seeing in implementing the VAR that, that I have more of an issue with than the VAR itself. It's, it's the people you... operating it that still managed to screw up. Did you see what happened in the French Open the other day? I did not. Okay, so there was a ball. It goes out at the French Open because the ball leaves a mark on the clay. They don't have the uh, they don't have Hawkeye the the system to sure. check it, even yep. though they should because they do have the technology in place. But that's crazy talk. Um, so on match point, the ball is clearly out. It's out by like a solid 
10 centimeters, which it doesn't seem like a lot, but like there's so a tennis ball. That's yeah. It's, it's a good, it's a good portion out. The umpire comes out to check the mark. One girl celebrating the other girls devastated comes out. The guy looks at the wrong mark. <laughs> he looks at the wrong mark and he goes, the ball's in. She's like, no, you're clearly looking at the wrong mark. <laughs> and it went back and forth for a solid like three minutes. And he goes, no, that, that ball's in. You don't know what she's talking about. You're looking at the wrong mark, not me. And he ends up calling the ball in. Luckily, the girl ends up advancing. But, I mean, you want to talk about a circus? Special. Something you only see in tennis sometimes. Yeah, so there, there you go. Six minutes, two goals in six minutes. And the Dutch looks set to coast out through the last half hour. And then at probably the worst exact possible moment in the match, when you have a two-goal lead, that last quarter of an hour, the beginning of that, that 75-minute mark is crucial to keeping that two-goal lead because there's enough. If they get one and they get the momentum and the belief back, there's it seems like an eternity left when you, when you find out you have 15 minutes left to hold on. And Ukraine pull one back. Yarmolenko with an absolutely wonder strike. Was that not pretty? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. It was absolutely right gorgeous. Oh, that ball did everything that, you wanted it to do. I mean, that you know, it went up over everybody, over the goalie, and dipped beautifully into the goal. I mean, that awakens was, that was the Ukrainian fans. Strike. Yeah, it awakens the crowd. Up to that, it was it was you know the Netherlands, the Dutch fans, you know, celebrating already, kind of ready to uh, beat traffic and get out of there early. And all of a sudden, it's two one, and and uh, you know, Ale Moreno on ESPN says, "Oh, we have a game," and I'm thinking, "Yeah, thanks for stating the obvious." I hate <laughs> that guy. What do you think of the coverage so far on ESPN? The coverage is fine. I, I actually like most of what they got going. I Ale Moreno gets under my skin worse than anybody. And yeah. uh, I I I don't like his. Maybe it's his style. I don't know if he comes off arrogant to me. Maybe, but and I just don't agree with the way that he sees the game. Hardly ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I I completely agree. I don't really like this guy. He's not all that great. Um, the guy I didn't the like guy him much when he go. was Columbus Crew striker either. But <laughs> the guy that's got to go is Twelman. I, I just can't I can't watch him anymore. He's on their number one team. ESPN has him in the number one spot. In all seriousness, like what he either is like banging the boss's daughter or he has some type of blackmail on ESPN where he is still allowed to be on this A team. Ian Drake is a goddamn national treasure. Ian Dark, yeah. Taylor that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Um Taylor Twelman with him, dude, you suck. And, like, I'm a Revs fan. I used to love Taylor Twelman. I used to worship Taylor Twelman. I have a poster of Taylor Twelman somewhere. Him and Sharif Joseph and Clint Dempsey, those guys were my boys. Taylor, go home. Get off screen. You I, I think he has his good days, and I think he has his bad days. And his bad days can be really bad. But there's more. He, he sometimes has good analysis. But he's the color man. He's supposed to, I don't know, sometimes he oversteps that line of, of the color commentator. He's just, and he kind of gets, like he starts bold, talking though. over Darky. And that's the voice you want to hear is Ian Dark's immaculate British accent narrating the story for you. You know what's like the worst? The pretty girl that knows that she's pretty. There's nothing more annoying than that. Like the pretty girl that knows that she's pretty and knows that like they're going to get all the attention. All this, like, 
Taylor Twelman is the pretty girl that knows that she's pretty. Like he's just annoying. He's a nuisance. Shut up. Shut and like, yes, you're right. Sometimes he brings some great stuff, but the problem is he believes his own bullshit so much that like for every one good thing that comes out of his mouth, you get another twelve that make you want to just jump off the jump off a cliff. Shut yeah, he, up, I, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. He has a very, very bipolar um audience. You know who is electric? Clint Dempsey. Clint I Dempsey was, doing the coverage. Phenomenal. I wanted to bring that up, but I wanted to stay on topic at the same time. He was phenomenal. Yeah, he really Clint was. He like, was a boss. I love him on television. More Clint Dempsey, please. Even even when he was doing the interview with Christian Pulisic, I don't know if you saw this because it was during the Champions League uh, pregame. Dude, uh, it was uh-huh. hilarious. He's fantastic on screen. <laughs> He's got so much personality. Literally, Clint Dempsey is the example of the director saying, just be yourself. And he says, all right, I got this. Yeah. Yeah, like legitimately. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Just He doesn't have to do anything other than show up. He doesn't need to be in a suit. Doesn't need to be in a tie. Doesn't even really need to make sense 80% of the time to be entertaining, dude. Just stick yeah. him on there. Give the guy a microphone. He was great last week in the in the CONCACAF Nations League, no doubt. So, we're be- so it's 2-1, to one, 75th minute. <laughs> and same thing we saw at the other end, right? We see a quick turnaround six minutes later. Netherlands doubled their lead. Well, it took four minutes to draw level for Ukraine. Two goals in four minutes. This time it's Yarnichuk. And just like that, it's 2-2. And I, you know what I'm thinking at this point is nobody likes Frank DeBoer in the Netherlands. The fans do clearly don't like him when they're paying planes to fly over the stadium to tell them how to set up the team. And... I'm thinking to myself, he is going to blow this 2-0 lead. They're going to drop two points, and there is going to be even more pressure on him. And I don't know what made the Dutch FA decide to go get the recent to get a sacked Atlanta United coach to take over your national team just because Ronald Coleman went to Barcelona. Of all the great Dutch coaches there are out there that are available, they went with this guy who has struggled as a manager. No matter wherever he's been, he's struggled. And I'm I'm watching this thing unfold. And I think they may just crumble. But in the 85th minute, the talent comes through today. And, uh, you know, their superior talent ended up being the difference. This time it's Dumfries, 85th minute. 3-2 to the Netherlands. Three points to the Dutch. And everybody goes home happy. Um, You brought up Memphis Depay earlier. Yeah. Before I ask you this question, do you know how old Memphis Depay is? You want me to look at it, or you want me to? No, guess? no, no. I don't want you to look. I don't. I just want you to answer me, yes or no. He's a lot you younger than people he realize. I feel like, dude, he is just entering his prime. How old do yeah. you think that he is? I'm gonna say, he's, because you're asking me the question, I'm gonna roll it back a year or two. I was gonna say about thirty. He's now I'm gonna say about twenty-eight. Twenty-seven, dude. Yeah, he, he's still so has much so ahead much of him. Time. He, he still has another five years, and he's still, like I said, he's just getting into his physical prime where he's starting to develop more into his man body. Sure. And he's getting better and better and better, and it is such a shame because I don't think people have realized like how much he has put this Dutch team on his back Oh no how doubt, how incredibly good he has been for them and uh, what a crucial player that he's been for his club side. And yeah. this dude belongs on a big team. Oh, no he's doubt, no doubt at all. He has absolutely carried this team back to relevancy. I mean, remember where they were four years ago. They missed Euro 2016. They missed World Cup 2018. 
He's yeah, carried I mean, them back. And no doubt at all. And uh, like you said, he's entering the prime of his career physically. He's also becoming a hell of an intelligent player. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just the smartest better, guy on better. the pitch, it looks like, most he's of the time. He's officially in that role where he's making people better, and, like, that's yeah. that's huge. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I can't believe I, that I it's love him. Memphis Depay. I'm a huge fan of Memphis Depay. Who was United's coach when they got rid of him? Was it Moist, though? I feel like it was Van Gaal, but that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, no, I don't think it was Van Gaal, because I think Van Gaal would have taken him under his wing. Yeah, it had to have been, been Moist, then. It was what that long idiot. ago, huh? Yeah, that dude just signed an extension with West Ham, huh? Moise, yeah, I believe so. Terrible. <laughs> Another team that just can't get a clue, dude. Um, hey, they're going into the Europa League next year. For that yeah, club, that's a big accomplishment. Yeah, congrats. Go throw yourself to the party. Euro 2020 tomorrow. We got three games, Capitano. I want to yes, get your Yes, we do. Let's look at the fixture list. What do we, first thing we've got, I'm pulling it Scotland, up right now. Czech Republic. Scott, this is the one I'm actually – this might be the one I'm most excited to see because I want to see Scotland with fans. I want oh, to hear the Tartan Army. Oh, yes. That's right. I keep forgetting that these are home games. I know that we've talked about this. Yeah, they're like, at Hamden Park tomorrow. Yes, 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 yes. I, I love everything about this. Um, do you know who the betting favorite is here? I don't know the line, but I'm going to get – don't tell me it's the Czech Republic. It's Scotland, dude. I was gonna say, I hope so at home, especially. And I mean, I know, something about Scotland that I get, I get excited for. Yeah, dude, and they're not even that good. And it's no, just like, but they dude, don't need to be. They're they're interesting enough to make you watch and hope they give you something. You know who's a guy that I'm looking at really to have a breakout tournament? Shea Adams. Okay. He was so underrated for Southampton all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 24 years old. He started to enter that point in his career where he can get a I don't expect him to get a big transfer to a big side like Real Madrid Barcelona etc etc but I mean he could definitely make that next step up possibly to a Tottenham possibly to like a City A team that needs a good striker maybe like an Atalanta maybe like Roma something like that if he can have a good tournament this dude is going to be in line to make a lot of money Um, the question is can they find the service I really like the Scotland team between him and McTominay, I think McTominay is one of the more underrated players at Manchester United. I really, really like this dude's game. Uh, I fully expect this Scotland team to really give the Czech Republic a lot of problems tomorrow. But I do see a draw in this matchup. You're, you're seeing a draw. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, Kieran Tierney is a good player too. Though I believe he plays for Rangers. Um, he gave Benfica a hard time in the UEFA, in the Europa League this year. He did a he he looked he was impressive. Uh, you got Callum McGregor, who's a, a name that people know on that team, and Andrew Robertson. So I I think everybody in Scotland is in that boat you just explained. They're all they could any one of them could could emerge as a name that clubs are going to be attracted to because a lot of them don't play in big clubs. Yeah, and they really are in the shop window for the first time. A lot of them. You know, yes, you can play in the Premier League, but if you're not playing in a top six team, I'm sorry, but most people aren't watching. How many people are tuning in to watch West Brom against, you know, uh, I don't know, whoever, Southampton, for example? You know what I mean? And not the cat. A lot of talent, man. Sure, but it's just not 
exposed to as many people. Yeah. Whereas now you're playing in Euro 2020. It doesn't matter who you're even playing against. Everybody's watching this tournament. Everybody's got all three matches on somewhere during the day. I don't care where you're working. You're you're tuned in. Even if you're not watching, you're dialed in. You're very aware of what's going on in every match. And even for the casual fans that come around only for these tournaments. Except for state employees, they will be working nonstop. Um, sorry about that, folks. Yeah, until there are none left. <laughs> oh, man. Little inside you, joke. Do you, little inside joke. I thought about this today. Dude, we're, we've been going on for an hour. We're allowed to get off track. We, it's okay. Uh, do you understand that we were supposed to be watching this together? Again, for those of you that don't know, uh, Capitano and I had cubicles next to each other. We were supposed to be watching this together a year ago in our little cubes until the pandemic hit, the world shuts down, and now here we are doing the show together. We were literally supposed to be watching this entire tournament. And I remember when you uh, – hey, how you doing? <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember that day when you texted me and you were like, France was supposed to be playing Portugal today. My reminder just went off of my phone. This is the worst day ever. Yeah, we were talking last summer about how we were supposed to be starting this. <laughs> and I remember I started a Mr. Benfica episode that weekend saying, well, oh, it was the weekend that was supposed to be the final. I was like, we did it. We beat France again for the second time in four years. We are champions. And then I said, wait, what? They didn't play. <laughs> what we do you mean? The MLS Cup is back. Or MLS is back. Yeah, it was during the MLS is back tournament. Yeah. Nine AM at Disney World. They're playing on a practice field. Yeah. So <laughs> holy shit! I remember how I excited this we were for tournament. Those games. This is going to be a tournament that is going to go down in history. They're going to make movies. They're going to write books on this one because it's not even in the. We're calling it Euro 2020, and it's 2021. This is pissing me off to no end. By the way, this is, is it, I think it's me to a whole whole I feel whole like whole. I'm time traveling Dude. every day. I feel like I'm going back in time. <laughs> I'm having a hard enough time keeping track of like what day of the week it is. Never mind. Now I'm starting to question what fucking year it is. Yeah, like, this uh, is brutal. Yeah, so I mean that that alone is gonna you're playing in front of almost in some places almost empty stadiums. People are gonna want to look back and be like, what the heck was going on in 2020? Why was Euro 2020 in 2021? And where's all the fans? Part of the reason I want to be on every single night is because I want people in 30 years to be searching for my content and find it by accident. Yep, yep. And live uh, forever on their in their podcast players. The beauty and of whatever it, means you know, they're using die, to consume content in in thirty years, but I really think there's gonna there will be if podcasts are still the medium they are today. How many? To, I mean, I spent last summer listening to a Italia ninety podcast that pretended we were in nineteen ninety and covered each match each day as if it were that day in nineteen ninety. That helped get me through the month of June last year. God, I would dude. go on football yeah, and watch these matches and then listen to the podcast as if Bro, they were the day's matches. And we I can see this on, happening again. Literally going on bootleg stream sites to watch games from the 90s. That's yeah. how bad. Like, we weren't even streaming. And I remember, oh, my God, what country was it? The Belarusian League. The Belar in Belarus, we were watching their, their Premier League. On YouTube. On remember, YouTube. <laughs> God bless Bate. What a team. Like, last year, they looked like they could have won the World Cup, in our opinion. Like, in yeah. all seriousness, Bate was, like, the greatest team on earth. I you were won. placing money on 
Ping pong, EA baby. sports games online. On, oh, my you know. God. Oh, my God. I was flipping through my old phone the other day, and what do you call it? I found the one where I li- – I, oh, boy. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, shout out to Bev's. I'm not going to use her real name. But she puts me on a call because I did something wrong on an account, and I literally paused her. I was like, Bev's, hold on. We're kicking a field goal for the win. <laughs> and it was the Chargers playing the Patriots in a video game, and I'm literally <laughs> sitting there. And I'd never forget that he kicks the field goal. They win 13 to 10. I'm going nuts. And she's like, what in the world do you watch? I was like, video games right now. What a game. It was unbelievable. And I'm going off and I'm telling her, she's like, are you seriously sitting there watching video games? She's like, is there even people playing? I was like, no, it's a computer simulation. And it's great. (laughs) It's all I have. There'll be outside the lines episodes that our grandkids will watch. We'll be old about (laughs) sports in the summer of 2020 and 2021. So, like, I feel like we work hard, but, like, I, f- I hope our grandkids have better work ethics than we do, dude. Like, they're actual, they like, physical work. You're output. talking to a guy who ha- who had to get sick to get time off of work. Oh, man. <laughs> Thanks to my my need for podcasting, I gave myself a third job by doing this. boy. That's what we're here for, man. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, to wrap up today's action before we get – before you know it, we'll be talking about celebrity boxing and Logan Paul and, <laughs> and Floyd Mayweather. And we're not going to go there, but there's a histor- here's, there's a cultural uh. reference for people listening in the future. Uh, <laughs> yes, that really happened. Logan Paul and Fla- Floyd Mayweather really happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were previewing tomorrow, so we got Scotland and Czech Republic. We both are hoping for Scotland, it seems like. Poland yeah. and Slovakia. I um, feel like... Lewandowski alone should be able to carry Poland in this one. Uh, I think Poland is my team to watch this tournament. I, I think, think they're going to be good. Yes. Uh, I, they, they're always, they're like a, a consistent quarter finalist in this thing. You can always count on them to get out of the group and usually to get out of, to at least get through another round. The thing that drives me nuts though, I think they keep continually make the wrong decisions in goal. Uh, I'm not a huge Chesney guy. I firmly believe that it should be Fabianski in goal. I think Fabianski is one of the more underrated keepers in all of Europe. Uh, I would love to see him start. It's not going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this Polish team, you have so much talent. And we talked about them, I believe it was the last World Cup, so what, 2018? We talked about how good they were and how much talent that they have. And this year coming into it, I mean, again, you're looking at really, really quality players here across the freaking board. And one guy that, again, I'm looking at to possibly have a breakout performance is, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, the forward. He just got transferred over to City. Ah. Uh, Zelensky? No, not Zelensky. The forward, bro. Piatek. Oh, Piatek, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to have a massive tournament. Um, he's going to be very, very good. He's a really good goal scorer. And uh, him with Lewandowski up top, uh, extremely dangerous. And I thoroughly expect Poland to dismantle Slovakia tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a strong team. Again, uh, there's a lot of – I see so many strong teams in this tournament, to be honest. Yeah. You remove – I have France in the uh, separate from everybody else. I have them in a class of their own right now. It's their tournament to lose. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but they have the most talent, the, the deepest at every position. But then I see five or six teams, maybe seven or eight even, that are so close together that anybody can beat anybody in that group. 
I'll tell you, um, I feel that way, but I don't feel that way about France. I feel like France is in that second group. Uh, I feel you, like you've been saying that since for a while, Tim. You, we've we've discussed this before, and you've felt that way about France. And I've I've been higher on them than you have. Um, you you know who my team is. Just trying tournament. to be trying to keep my expectations down. I I mean, I really think that Portugal is in a league of their own. Um, I really think that this may be the best Portuguese team ever. I actually uh, agree with that statement. I do. That doesn't this, mean that results will go the way we need to, but but I, I do mean, agree that this this is the best team on paper they have ever put together. You look at this and you again, I look at it from a uh, from a betting perspective where Portugal coming into this are plus 800 to win the tournament and I challenge anybody outside of France find me a team that's more balanced that has the superstar that can carry the load if he needs to that has a bunch of players that can just they, – they blend well. They work hard as a team. Go ahead and find me a team that's as balanced as Portugal. And, of course, everybody's argument is, well, on any given day, anything can happen. Well, by that stretch of the imagination, Scotland and North Macedonia are playing in the final, guys. Anything you know who my son happen. had – because I had my son play this game, the, our, our betting – our pick em game that I that I ran for this podcast, which I can't wait till we get to the round 16 so we can see who's leading. <laughs> but – um. He, he, you want to know what his final was? He picked, and I, of course he doesn't know. I just asked him who's going to win this. Who's going? He had a final. You ready for this? Give it to me. He had Finland versus Austria in the final. Yo, in Romero, we trust, bro. I don't know. Finland what you're and about. Austria both won their opening. R- Romero Felipe. There we go. It's like I thought it was fun to have. So anybody playing, if you lose to my five-year-old son, team name Romero P Productions. Because that's the name of his YouTube channel. <laughs> yes, Yo, my five-year-old has a YouTube there, channel. Make sure you go subscribe. Romero P Productions. Uh, <laughs> Capitano, shoot me the link. I will shoot it out to everybody. Make sure right, you subscribe I will that bad boy. Um, if you lose to him, well, uh, you should probably read some soccer books or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or just because... keep watching Parking uh Parking the bus and pitches and pints eight a.m. Yeah, you gotta you gotta start doing the overtime and getting pitches and pints in there. Um, let let's talk about the last game tomorrow. Then I'll let you plug pitches and pints. I'll let you plug all your projects, and um, we'll we'll head to the to the finish line. So Spain and Sweden tomorrow. Um, you see anything that that's outside of the obvious in this one? Under no circumstances could I care less about this game. It's it's really bad. Like this is a Euro game. I had more interest in North Macedonia and Austria than I do Spain versus Sweden for the sole reason that there is no. Uh oh, yo, you, we got comments, bro. We got a new comment. It's coming up. Share the YouTube <laughs> link. There we go. Romero Pre Productions. Uh, make sure you guys follow me. I'll be shooting that link out tonight, folks. Uh, but right, I'll, I will tweet it over to you shortly. That's what I'm talking about. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Spain versus Sweden. Spain, the most overrated team I've seen in a very, very long time. I don't see – I mean, Danny Olmo might be their best player, and I'm not very high on him. People keep talking about Adama Traore. First of all, he's not Spanish. I don't give a damn what his what his citizenship is. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry. I don't like the Spanish team. And the Sweden team, you guys had my attention when Zlatan was part of this. Zlatan's no longer part of this. Um Part of me is still rooting for Marcus Berg because he played for Panathinaiko. I loved him as a goal scorer, but overall, I don't have a ton of interest in this game. And I mean, just nah, nah, at best. I have. I'm interested in one thing. 
so Spain and Portugal played a week ago in a friendly that our friend Alejandro Moreno on ESPN, who really pissed me off during his, his commentary of that one. Um, <laughs> it was obvious what Portugal were doing. They're preparing to play France and preparing to play Germany. They had no interest in having the ball in that match. They got 23 guys that are fatigued having played 60 games all season. Yep. And Moreno's over there. How are they ever going to get sustained possession? They have no interest in sustained possession. This is a preparation game. And it ended up being a stupid preparation game because it ended up giving Cancelo COVID and now he's out for the tournament. Had we just not played any pre- preparation games, I think we'd be better off than we are now. But that's a whole different argument that I'm not going to get into. Get into um, it, baby. We've only been here for an Spain hour. 20. Had the bo- I don't want to hear about possession. You know, you know as oh, well as anybody boy. in my listeners. If there we go. And I have to imagine my listeners either can tolerate my views on possession or have left by now because <laughs> I hammer this home every day. I You can possess that ball for 90 minutes in, in the middle third and in your own third. Yeah, they had two chances to score. I, I know. And Morata did not finish well. They had, bo- like I said, boatloads of possession. They moved the ball around. You know what? The game ended. It was nil-nil. We're in the locker rooms, and they're still passing the ball around and still not scoring goals. Yep. Um, I want to see if Spain can can get any goals tomorrow or if oh. this is going to be more of the same Luis Enrique. Oh, spoiler alert. They won't, especially <laughs> if Morata starts. Um, well, my, my point exactly. Like, who's the who's a shittier striker? Gonzalo, Gonzalo Higuain or Alvaro Morata, like one in one. And you're talking about the... Argentina's Gonzalo Higuain and not Real Madrid's in his day. Wise ass. Um, <laughs> but no, they may so, look like the same person, but I swear they can't be. They are the two most useless strikers I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, Alvaro Morata, you like anytime he scores, it's by accident. It's amazing to me that people fall in love with this guy. I mean, he's big, he's clunky, he's slow, he can't use two feet, he doesn't really score all that often. Like, I, I mean, I can't stand this entire Spanish team. I don't think that they're good. And then to top it off, you leave your captain out. No Sergio Ramos. I mean, like, you don't how- even fill your roster. Terrible, horrible. You leave empty spaces. An absolute embarrassment. How arrogant do you have to? How arrogant must you be to leave empty spaces on a roster going into a tournament where you may play seven matches? In four I heard. Weeks? That, I heard that there's a lot of politics involved as to why Sergio I'm Ramos sure got is. left off. Because uh, I heard from Little Tweety Bird that Sergio Ramos is on his way to go play for the Chinese league. Um, so and- be it. What does that got to do with right now? I mean, players are not happy with this decision. Um, They would prefer him to. (laughs) Maybe if you guys paid the guy for what he's what he's done for your club, that's probably a good start. Probably get him to stay. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of the reason why I heard why Sergio Ramos is off the team. Um, But yeah, I think the Spanish team could easily bust out of this. They're not very good. They should be very thankful that they have this third team ranking to really uh, to really have a chance of getting through. And to be playing some of these games at home. I think tomorrow they're at home. Uh, let's see. They are one of the oh, – I know Bilbao has at least – tomorrow, yeah, they're in Seville, not in Bilbao. They moved it to Sil- Seville. Um, so they're at home tomorrow. 
I don't know what kind of crowd they're gonna have, but they're at home, so they'll probably get out of the group. But I can't see them beating one of the top five or six teams. No, one chance. of the real contenders. No chance. Um, and yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, not under any circumstances do I think they have a chance of actually doing anything in this tournament. Um, who's the other game tomorrow? Did we cover That's all it. the games? We just went through. That's the three. Look at that. So in that, that group, by the way, I got Poland to win in that group. It's not a bad call. Honestly, it wouldn't shock me if Spain doesn't even get third. If they don't win tomorrow. Can you imagine the backlash? Slovakia is not that bad. Like, no, I know I, they're not. They they got a few players that play in big leagues. Like They can definitely pull a shock in the way that, like you said, the way that they play that Diki Taka and they're so thick-headed and they will not change their – I mean, they could easily not score or even give up a stupid penalty where Sergio Ramos wouldn't have would be just poetic justice. I can easily see Spain just getting two points and not advancing. Yeah, it's it's all – everything's possible in this group. I mean, this may be the hardest group to, to call, um, at least for places two, three, and four. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll have a better idea at this time tomorrow. So, um uh, I want to first of all thank you for joining me, Leo. We've, we're going about an hour and a half now. Um, as usual, our podcasts with us turn into hour and a half, two hour podcasts. But uh, honestly, this uh, I want to sure. thank you for making time tonight. I know you're busy. You got a lot of work going on over at BTV at Better Than Vegas. Why don't you uh, tell us what's going on right now with you guys? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Better Than Vegas, a YouTube for all the sports betting. Get on over there. Uh, we got everything your heart desires. I mean, your boy absolutely crushed it during the French Open, up over 30 units for those two weeks. Uh, every bet was one unit. We absolutely killed it. We got stuff going on for the Euros. We got a ton of guys. Shout out JMP. Shout out uh, Fade My Play. Who knows? Maybe you see them here. You never know. Got a tune always in every welcome. night. Those Eight guys are always baby. welcome here on Parking the Bus. That's right. 8 o'clock uh, every night throughout the Euros? Every night throughout the Euros. That's, that's dedication Eastern right time. there. And for those of you that don't know him personally, that is past his bedtime. So y'all better just show him the respect and stay up and watch with him. Uh, good stuff, Capitano. As always, pleasure, buddy. Yeah, and your handle is right there on the screen. But if you're listening on the podcast, oh, why don't you shout it out? One more thing. Not watching. If you're watching on the podcast at DGENS underscore United, make sure you get there again. DGENS underscore United. Hit the follow button. Also follow at BTV Bets. But specific, uh, excuse me, soccer specific show. Every Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time, pitches and pints, me in a specific little mosquito that's a Chelsea fan. We go back and forth. We go at it nonstop. Shout out, Beho. I love you, buddy. Uh, but we're going nuts at each other. We're breaking down all the games from all the betting angles. Uh, it is a lot of fun. It is highly entertaining. We usually go back and forth with some insults, too. You're almost guaranteed a good laugh, man. So definitely go check out pitches and pints. That's really all I got for plugs, man. All right, man. Thanks so much again for uh, joining me tonight. To everyone listening, thank you for, for listening. If it's on the podcast, watching, if you're watching the live feed, either on Periscope, on on uh, www.parkinthebusmedia.com or on the YouTube channel for the PTB Media Network. That's going to wrap up this episode 44 or night three of the Euro, as I'm calling it. Again, those of you listening on the podcast, there is bonus content coming up. I'm going to break down day one of the Copa America, Copa right, America. As, as it is concluding in the next in the next little while here. Um, so that will be audio only, and you'll be able to get that on the podcast in the morning, wherever you get your podcasts, or just by saying, Alexa, play Parking the Bus podcast. All right, I'm signing off now. 
This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu. Uh, for Leo Kukaki's here with me as well. We're signing off saying good night here on Parking the Bus. We'll see you tomorrow. Later. That's how I'm feeling today That's how I'm feeling the most of the time Don't even look at the price, I just pay Getting a bill's a big part of my life Say you understand, but don't feel my pain God already said I have to wait But sometimes I feel like it is too late No love Even if I'm not going, I'm not going to get I'm only planning for vacation No wedding goes, so I'm forgetting English now, shop and listen Jullie weten niet eens wat ik meemaak Monnetje is een vrouw van mijn leven No love No love En die money die ik maak die covert niks op Ik zei die money die ik maak die covert niks op Ik zei die money die ik maak die covert niks op Welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 44. 
here on the PTB Media Network, and this is podcast-exclusive material now. You won't find this on the video. You won't find it on the live stream on the YouTube edition. Nope, not on Periscope, not on the video portion at www.parkinthebusmedia.com. No, this segment here is exclusive to the podcast, so welcome. Thank you for sticking around. It is now time to talk Copa America because you know the Mr. Loves South American football. Such a big portion of what I talk about on this microphone every week on this podcast is centered around Latin America, whether it's in in Mexico or in South America. So obviously, even in the midst of Euro 2020 and the daily episodes that my insane brain thinks I can pull off over the next month. Um, Don't think that I am forgetting about my dear Copa America, forgetting about my dear South American football. Uh, 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 No way. Here we are. It has finally come day one of Copa America. And, you know, it is it is under a lot of scrutiny. Let me tell you, this Copa America comes under absolute uh, criticism, backlash. This is the exact opposite of what we're seeing from Europe. In Europe, everybody is on board for, for Euro 2020. It is long awaited. It's a year in the waiting also. Copa America did not rebrand or did not keep the, the Copa America 2020 branding. They're calling it uh, Copa America 2021. But, um, however, it doesn't seem anyone in South America wants this competition to take place other than the federations. And um, to the point where it, it, Brazilian officials tried to stop it from being staged. So quick, quick recap. I've talked about this in past episodes, but a quick recap of what's go uh, of, of how we got to this point in Copa America 2021 is it was originally slated to be hosted under a new format, okay? It was going to be uh it was going to be 12 teams, not 10, and it was going to be two groups, a nor and it was going to be a regional like a like a a geographical grouping this time. There was going to be a north group and a south group. The north group was going to play in Colombia, the south group in Argentina. Now, what ended up happening is the two uh, invited teams from outside the region, uh, Qatar and Australia, uh, declined to travel due to COVID. The COVID situation in South America, where it is probably the worst of anywhere in the world right now, um, and with due to civil unrest, okay, there's general strikes, there is violence, there is issues going on in Colombia, and Colombia had to withdraw its its hand in organizing the tournament it had to withdraw its hosting duties or or forfeit its hosting duties if you will Conmebol scrambled okay Conmebol I should say scrambled they looked at and Argentina starts to panic because the the although there isn't the same civil unrest there isn't there isn't the same um, political tension going on uh, necessarily in Argentina at the moment, at least not to the level to where there's large manifestations and national strikes going on, uh, like there is in Colombia. So what what's going on is is Argentina looks at this and says, you know what, we're having an even worse case of of, of COVID right now. Argentina very much in uh, the red zone, if you want to use the coloring scheme, uh, very much in a very bad place right now in regards to the outbreak of this virus. Here we are 15 months on. And I think it's unfair to just blame South America for this uh, and to just blame 
people for for this this outbreak. Let's keep in mind we're talking about the southern hemisphere and we're talking about they're going into the part of the year where they're actually in the er, on the onset of winter right now in South America and flip it to to North America to the northern hemisphere and this is the time of the year where people get sick. This is the time of the year where normally we call it the flu season begins. There's no such thing as a flu season anymore. There's a COVID season now. That's my honest, um, uneducated opinion on the, on the matter. But my just uh, gut feeling is that we are going to see a COVID season for years to come around that time of the year in our calendar. Uh, we'll see in November and December if I'm right about this. But it seems like there is an uptick. Um, we did see a surge here in the Northern Hemisphere in October last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was in October that that cases started to surge, and there's you know different theories as to why that is. I'm not calling anything a conspiracy theory. I'm not I'm not discrediting anything. I'm not disputing what anybody believes. Okay, I'm just stating that at the time where more cases were reported, okay, was slightly earlier in our calendar or earlier in our seasonal uh, calendar and seasonal transition than it is now. But we had trouble, too, at this time of, of our seasonal transition last year, um, if you know what I mean by that. When we were going from fall to winter up here, we had our issues, okay? We had mandates being reinstated. We had, we had you know, uh, we had things being lifted. We had restrictions being lifted and then reimplied and then upped. South America is just going through the same thing, in my opinion. Now, they may not have the same support systems in place to handle it, so it's more dire there, but I think, I think, the the part of the problem for this Copa America is that it's being played now, okay, to to fit in a FIFA window versus um, how in Europe they're playing it in the summer, okay, where people just tend to get sick less. It's just a fact. It's statistically a fact. There are less reported cases of illness in the summer than there are in the winter. Well, I'm not here to dispute, to discredit. I'm not here to debate this with anybody. This has nothing to do with the premise of this show, except for the fact that in South America, at the same exact time, when it is the opposite season, they're trying to play the same kind of tournament. And we have COVID cases galore. So what happens is Argentina, they pull away. No, they tell Conmebol they're no longer able to to uh, host either. Sounded like everybody was calling for this comp- competition to be called off. I, I, football fans and non-fans alike, I think the only people calling for this were the federations because at the end of the day, they sold television rights for this competition. At the end of the day, they have to deliver a product. It's very easy for those of us that don't manage million-dollar corporations or million-dollar businesses to say, well, you just have to eat it like the rest of us. It's true. There are a lot of people that lost a lot of money in their own businesses around the world due to this virus. So it's hard to get anyone to feel any sympathy for large organizations like Conmebol um, and their media partners for losing this uh, for losing this product, okay? That that was promised. Now, that is why they said this show must go on, and they had to find a suitor. And Brazil stepped up and offered to host it. Now, 
since then, there have been protests. There have has been civil unrest. There have been a lot of people that do not want this competition to take place. They don't want these athletes coming in from outside the country and potentially bringing more cases with them. So, um, there have been st- people have been trying to stop this Copa America, this Copa America, excuse me, from going on. Well, on Friday, two days ago, Brazil's Supreme Court ruled that the tournament may go on. So it goes on. And we've already got cases of COVID being reported. The worst, of course, to the team in tonight's opening match, the team facing the host, the new hosts, it is Venezuela with 12 cases uh, confirmed uh, to players, staff, and other parts of the delegation that traveled. Um, at the moment, as I search, I'm not finding any exact names other than their captain, Thomas Rincon. As I go through the lineups, maybe I will find uh, who that is. But we have cases in Venezuela, a couple cases in Colombia's team, and, uh, and three cases in Bolivia. So here are people who have entered Brazil and now tested positive. The Brazilian health authorities have these players all in their supervision. They are all being uh, isolated at their team's hotels away from everybody else. What I fear and what most of us probably fear is that this is going to continue throughout the tournament and it looks like Conmebol is in a situation where they're in too deep and they got to go ahead with it and just we saw in Conmebol this year, we saw in Copa Libertadores, we saw River Plate take the field with only 11 players and I I don't mean take the field, I mean we saw them go into a match with only 11 fit players dressed, one of them injured playing in goal. Enzo Perez, a field player playing in goal because those were the only available players they had that had not tested positive. So we're seeing a higher scale of entire teams or large chunks of entire teams testing positive in South America. So that brings us to tonight's opening day. And amidst that backdrop, we got Brazil versus Venezuela. Venezuela missing uh, so many players. Uh Uh-huh. Or miss. Let's see here. They. I'll give you the list here, and I. I don't know that these are all, um, COVID nineteen. But here is the list of injured players for, for um, Venezuela. Normally, I'm using the FOTMAB app right now. Normally, when it's a COVID, it just says injured with no with no, um, no description. If that's the case here, you got uh, Jan Chancellor. Yonder Cadiz, Joseph Martinez, of course, of, of Atlanta FC. Mikel Villanueva, who plays in the Portuguese League. I'm very familiar with him. Uh, Rafael Romo, Robert Rosales, Rumulo Otero, all given with injury and no other information. Um, also, um, there's members of the coaching staff that are also uh that, that tested positive as well. And then you have other injuries that are actually defined. And you have Rolf Felcher with a hip injury. You have, in addition to that, Jefferson Soteldo also injured until mid-July. He's been, he's out of the tournament uh, due to injury. And I believe it is five positive cases because I did read... In the Athletic today, that that manager Josep Pizarro, the Portuguese manager of Venezuela, will be able to call in five additional players to replace these. However, um, 
obviously that takes time. And the match must go on today. So we have Brazil versus Venezuela. And, and Venezuela with only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven substitutes on the bench when you are allowed many, many more than that. Uh, let's go to the lineups. And before that, let's get through the match facts. Actually, okay, we are at the Estadio Nacional de Brasilia, or better known as the Mané Garincha Stadium, named after the former great, the late great Garincha. One of, uh, if you don't know the player Garincha, you got to go on YouTube and find the old black and white videos of this this guy. There are many who believe he could have been better than Pelé, if not for his vices that, that completely derailed his career. But it, they're in Brazil's capital city tonight. The referee is from Uruguay. It is Esteban Ostich. And now the lineups in this one. Uh, for Venezuela, Joel Graterol is the goalkeeper. They're playing a 5-4-1. Um, obviously, with the depleted staff, they're just trying to, I think, play the minutes and get out of there without any further damage done. The two outside backs, way outside, you have Alexander Gonzalez. You have, on the right, you have Johan Kumana on the left. And in the, the trio in the center, deep center, is Francisco Lamantia. Luis Martinez is to his right and Luis Del Pino to his left. Four in midfield in front of them. The two in the center, the double pivot, if you will, is Junior Moreno and Ber Bernardo Manzalo. Christian Caceres Junior is the left wide-sided midfielder, while Jose Andreas Martinez is the right-sided player. And alone up top as the striker is the captain, Fernando Aristigueta. Okay, for Brazil, for the defending Copa America champions, and for the second time in a row, the hosts, uh, the manager, Teach, has brought out a 4-3-3. And, of course, it's Liverpool's Alisson Becker in goal. Four across the back, like we said. Juventus' Danilo is the right back. You have Eder Militão of Real Madrid and Marquinhos of PSG in the center of defense, while Atletico's left uh, back Renan Lodi gets the start in this one. Five in midfield, anchored by Casemiro, of course, of Real Madrid. He is the captain. Lucas Paqueta is to his right, and Fred is to his left. And in attack, the, the three chosen to start the match. Uh, the striker is Richarlson of Everton, of course. He's got Neymar to his left, and he's got Gabriel Jesus to his right. And can you ask for a better set of... Uh, players to team up with if you're Richarlson how 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 psyched are you to have Neymar to one side and Gabriel Jesus to the other those are the the 22 players that took the pitch to start the match today and we'll look at the match facts quickly as uh we get we get a goal in the 23rd minute for Marquinhos uh putting Brazil ahead and you can you can look into some of I'll bring up the ticker apps actually and go through some of of what happened here in this match quickly as Teach makes only three changes to the side that's that started their World Cup qualifier against Paraguay last time out. Of course, these teams just played a double round of World Cup qualifying a week ago, and now they're going into a major tournament where they got four group matches. This is insane, the amount of football. The team that's going to go to the final of this Copa America, 
This is insanity. They're going to play four. I believe they're playing four. I believe they're playing all four uh, group stage matches. Let's let's take a pause in this match and just double check the fixture list here. As yes, they are playing. They have a minimum of four Copa America matches. Okay, so and actually, according to Brazil's schedule, they're playing more than that. There is a. I'm looking at Brazil's fixture list. They have tonight against Venezuela. They play the the 17th against Peru. Okay, that's why there's so many. There's canceled matches in here. Okay, so the match against Qatar canceled, so they're not playing them. They'll play again on Wednesday the 23rd against Colombia. So they're playing. They're playing four. So they're playing four group matches each. They were originally scheduled to play five group matches each. This is insanity, but they're playing four group matches. And then all these group matches just to eliminate two teams from the field of 10 to get to a quarterfinal. This competition will call for seven matches to the team that's going to win it, having just played two World Cup qualifiers within a few days of each other. That's nine matches inside of a month, roughly, a month and a week. Craziness. The amount of injuries that are going to occur to the teams that go deep in this, this competition is just inhumane almost but back to this match now as we said teach made only a couple of changes uh to the side that started those matches he's brought brought on allison lodi and paquita uh, as well as ederson alexand as well as dropping ederson alexandro and firmino to the bench for Josep Pizzato, he's forced to make seven changes to his team after 12 Venezuela. Now here it's reporting 12 Venezuelan players and staff. Okay, so it's still not that clear. Returned a positive corona test. Only Graterol, uh, Gonzalez, Moreno, and Jose Martinez retain their places in the team that faced Uruguay. And the manager has only seven players available on his bench, which we already said. Brazil are undefeated in their last eight matches against Venezuela. But two of those are draws, and they have been at Copa America, both finishing nil-nil. Fun fact, the game Brazil lost to Venezuela. It was at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, United States of America. And you know who was sitting up in the nosebleed seats, way up in almost the top row of the entire stadium? That's right. The mister was there, your boy, right here. I was in the house that night. Uh, with over 50,000 Brazilians in Gillette Stadium. Venezuela came up here and beat Brazil in their U.S. home stadium, as they designated uh, Gillette Stadium that night. But other than that, it has been all success for Brazil against Venezuela. And I'm going to move ahead here. Neymar has a chance in the eighth minute with a dangerous he wh- or he whips a dangerous corner in to create a chance at the near post for Richarlison. He makes a late flick towards the back, and Gabriel Jesus tries to get there, but it is just out of his reach on the stretch, and it bounces out of play. Brazil go close again in the 11th. All right, it is Brazil keeping on the pressure, and Neymar plays a short corner to Renan Lodi. He curls a brilliant cross into the middle of the box where Militão is waiting. But he sends his header just wide of the far post. 
Neymar drives through midfield again in the 13th, switching play out to Lodi on the left. It looks like he's overhit his pass, but the left back manages to keep it in play, drilling a low cross into the box, but it is blocked by La Mantilla. And we continue. So let's go ahead and go to the 23rd minute. It is Marquinhos. And this time it is another one of Neymar's corners causing problems for Elbino Tinto in the box. And Richarlson flicks it to the near post, kind of what he tried to do earlier. This time Marquinhos outmuscles Luis Martinez. And in the middle of the melee to reach the loose ball, bundles it across the line to score the first goal of Copa America 2021. It's 1-0 to the Canerinha. And Brazil are in the lead in an empty stadium. And it's and those of you that heard in the previous segment, uh, the shock it is to our, our systems now. Watching a match and having piped in crowd noise again. We've finally gotten unused to that. And then here that is the reality here. South of the equator right now in, in Brazil. 27th minute in Venezuela. Win a free kick deep and down the right wing. But Cassettes swings in a good cross into the near post. Moreno pulled it away to try and get on the end of it. But Fred slides it to put it out for a corner of which comes nothing. All right, in the in the 34th minute, Jose Martinez has gone down after being caught by Lodi trying to clear the ball. He's holding his knee, but he's able to get back on his feet and continue without needing any treatment. And in the 36th, we have a VAR intervention. The referee is just delaying Brazil from taking the corner as VAR check whether or not Luis Martinez used his arm to put the ball out of play. They have a long look at it uh, at the replace, but they spot nothing in it and no penalty is given. Two minutes later, 38th, Renan Lodi goes in the referee's book, picks up a yellow card after catching Aristique. Arestigueta with a late challenge. 38, it's off the line, and it is Fred looping the ball over the top for Paqueta. He cushions it down on his chest for Richarlson, who chips his effort over Graterol, but Luis Martinez quickly tracks back and clears it off the line. And as he does that, the flag does go off for offside from the referee's assistant. Uh... A save for Allison in the 39th as he's rarely called into work tonight. But Jose Martinez swings in a free kick to Arestigueta. One on the right and he picks out the forward in the middle of the box. He sends his header towards the near post. But it's actually just a comfortable save for Allison Becker. One of the best if not the best goalkeeper in the world right now. Brazil piling on the pressure again in the closing moments of the first half. And Venezuela struggling to get on the ball at all in on the mo- in the moment, and each time they do, Brazil quickly win possession back from Venezuela, and Brazil are forcing them into many many mistakes when they are on the ball, and it's a tough first half for Albino Tinto, and in 45 plus two, Venezuela playing it short to Jose Martinez on the edge of the box swings a cross into the six yard box, but it's straight to Allison's gloves. Referee blows his whistle at 45 plus 3 for halftime. And Marquinhos' goal gives Brazil that 1-0 lead in the first half. 
The hosts dominated the first half and took the lead from a corner. Marquinhos bundled the ball over the line from close range. Richarlison also had an effort ruled out for offsides just minutes after the opening goal. Militao and Neymar also came close but couldn't add to the advantage. And at minute 46, we get a double substitution from Teach, the Brazil manager. On comes Flamengo's Everton Ribeiro to to replace Lucas Paqueta. And Juventus' Alexandro replaces Atleti's Renan Lodi in the, in the match. 45 minutes is all that Paqueta and Lodi get today. As I'm sure Teach is trying to manage minutes. I just spelled out how many matches they're going to play in this crazy, crazy international, uh, I guess, five-week block that we are in right now. Brazil pick up right where they left off here in the second half as Neymar swings in another good cross from the left. Richarlison gets between the defenders and a head on it again, but his header loops high up over the crossbar. Venezuela dropping very, very deep to close down space again. So Militon goes long with another pass over the top. He's looking for Gabriel Jesus, but he overhits it straight into Graterol's gloves. 52nd minute, a loose pass from Kumana gives gifts the ball to Everton Ribeiro. On the right, he steps away from the defender, putting in a good cross into the box. It's Richarlison once again. He's closest to it, but he can't get any solid contact on it to test the goalkeeper. Brazil again, 53rd minute. Gabriel Jesus drives down the right side of the area before fizzing a dangerous cross into the six-yard box. None of the Venezuela defenders get a chance to touch the ball, and it goes all the way across, reaching Neymar at the far post, but he pokes it wide of the target. You can get the idea. It is Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. Okay, we'll move to the 62nd minute, and it's a penalty to Brazil. As Everton Ribeiro tees up Danilo, who knocks it around Luis Martinez to get to the byline, sets himself up for the cross, but Kumana crashes into him, and the referee is in no doubt at all as he emphatically points straight to the spot. Up steps none other than the number 10, Neymar. And Neymar uh, obviously is going to make no mistake of it. The referee blows his whistle, but Neymar takes his time running to the penalty, stutters on his run up trying to catch Graterol. And it works as Neymar slots it into the bottom left corner, sending Graterol the wrong way. 2-0 to Brazil. And another substitution for Brazil. Teach sends on Flamengo's Gabriel Barbosa, better known to fans of this podcast and fans everywhere as Gabigol. Richarlison's day is done in the 65th. It took Gabigol exactly one minute to go to the referee's book. He'd been on the pitch less than a minute, as it says here, and he's already uh, seeing yellow as he used his elbow to hold off Caceres, which earns him that booking. Venezuela being forced even deeper into their own half. This was just a nightmare of an evening for Venezuela. And um, struggling to get out of that end and trying to get anything going forward. Graterol goes long with a clearance. And Moreno heads it on, but only as far as Kajimiru. As Kajimiru is comfortably winning the ball and getting the play restarted once again, built out of the back. 
69th minute, and Manzano's frustration gets the better of him, and he catches everything. Ribeiro from behind, which earns him a yellow card for the Venezuelan player, of course. Aristigueta in the 71st is trying his best to carry the ball forward every time he wins it back, but it's constantly crowded off the ball. He drives towards the box from the right, but Brazil get three defenders around him to stop him dead in his tracks. Uh, Josep Pizeiro will make a substitution for Venezuela in the 77th. And actually, he's making a pair of substitutions. And it's the first change he's made in the team. Sergio Cordova comes on for Fernando Aristigueta. While Richard Salis replaces Bernardo Manzano. And in the 80th, it's it's Luis Del Pino going in the referee's book as he catches Gabby Goal in the face as he attempts to stop his run and he's shown a yellow card. In the 81st, it's a big save here as Brazil have a free kick through the middle. Neymar touches to Alexandro who stands on the ball, backs off and allows uh, Neymar to change. Essentially, it changes the angle of the free kick. It's a short roll, stop, and then you're kicking from a slightly different angle to open up a spot for the shot and he bends it around and it forces a big save from Gratarol. 83rd minute, Neymar again gets away from Gonzalez with a burst of pace, cuts inside the left to get onto his shooting foot in shooting position at the edge of the box, fires the effort towards goal, but it's just wide of the target. Another substitution Four, and actually both teams will make substitutions here in the 84th and 85th minute. First, it's Albino Tinto. It's Venezuela sending on Edson Castillo for Christian Caceres Jr. And at the other end, it is Brazil sending on Fabinho for Fred. And Vinicius Jr. Real Madrid replaces Gabriel Jesus of Manchester City. And Brazil again in control, just always in control of this one. And in a hurry to push forward at the moment as they knock it around in their own half, Kajimiru lifts it towards Neymar, but Gonzalez steps in to intercept it. But in the 89th, they get that third goal, and it is none other than the man with goal in his name, Gabi Gol, Gabriel Barboza, one of my favorite players in football, one of the guys I love to watch play. Uh, Venezuela are all over the place in the back. And they're punished for it as Gratrol rushes out of his box to close down Neymar, but doesn't get there, which allows him to pull back for Gabigol. He's left with a simple tap-in from very close range. It's 3-0 to the Canarinho. 3-0 to Brazil. And it's another assist for Neymar. A brilliant run from the PSG star as he forces uh, the goalkeeper to commit himself and leave the space open. For Gabigol for the tap-in. A substitution again in the 90th plus 2. Ronald Hernandez comes on for Alex Gonzalez. Venezuela is making that substitution, of course. And the referee will blow his whistle for full time. Not much to talk about. We really spent quite a bit of time on this match. Uh, considering how one-sided it was. It is Brazil picking up all three points. And no surprise there. Especially given the... Situation, And I think if you're Venezuela right now, you're just grateful that this surge of COVID cases didn't happen before World Cup qualifying. They got those two matches in and they got, they got, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of decent results in them. Um, 
they 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 did lose at altitude against Venezuela, but then got a an important uh, nil nil draw with Uruguay, which could be important later in the campaign, as there are many many matches left to play in South American World Cup qualifying. Moving forward to the late game, it's Colombia ho- uh, Colombia not hosting, but Colombia facing Ecuador. And this match was played at the Arena Pantanal in Cuiabá, uh, in Mato Grosso, Brazil. The referee is Nestor Pitana of, of Argentina. Here are the lineups for the two sides. We'll start with Ecuador. As uh, Pedro Ortiz is the goalkeeper. Four in the back in the 4-4-2. Anjolo, Preciado, Robert Arboleda, Piero Hincapi, and Pervis Estupinan. Are the four in the back? Four in midfield. Gonzalo Plata, the Sporting Lisbon player, is on the right with Jetson Mendez and Moises Casedo in the center. Fidel Martinez goes down the left. Mikael Estrada partners with Inner Valencia, the one-time uh, Tigres star, as he currently is employed by Fenerbahce in the Turkish Super League. For Colombia, a one I you have to say one of the favorites after Brazil and Argentina to win the competition. They're playing four four two as well for their manager, uh, Reynaldo Rueda, and it is David Ospina in goal. Four across the back: Daniel Munoz, Jerimina, Oscar Murillo, and uh, Jairo Moreno across the back, with Edwin Cardona playing wide on the left. The the two in the center of the park, the double pivots, if you will, Wilmar Barrios and FC Porto's Mateus Uribe with Juventus's Juan Cuadrado running down the right. Up front, you have River Plate's Rafael Santos Borre partnering with Miguel Borja of Junior Barranquilla. Um, that's the 4-4-2 sent out there by Colombia. So... The goal comes in the 42nd minute for Colombia. It is Edwin Cardona. He scores. And we'll go to the ticker and and talk about that goal for just a moment. As that was all that was going to be needed tonight. And again, a match being played with such a backdrop. Given that, that Colombia had COVID cases in their delegation. And... We got the goal here, like I said, in the 41st minute. Edwin Cardona, right-footed shot from the center of the box to the bottom left corner, assisted by Miguel Borja with a headed pass following a set-piece situation. The goal is actually awarded after VAR, and actually you heard Leo talking about it uh, during our segment earlier. He was watching it live at the time, and uh, he said that he thought that they were going to screw it up even with the VAR. Uh, It looks like everyone except... Borja and Cardona were in an offside position, and then it was ruled that the goal was was to be allowed. It was a good goal. Colombia take the three points here. Let's look at some statistics for this one. Ball possession forty one percent to forty one point five percent to Colombia, while Ecuador enjoyed more possession. Uh, total shots, Ecuador also with the edge there, eight to five created chances. Six to four in favor of Colombia. Big chances, one chance for Colombia, none for Ecuador. 
accurate passes. It was Ecuador winning that battle with 387 accurate passes to 270. The pass succession rate for Ecuador was 83%, while Colombia's was 78%. Colombia committed three more fouls than Ecuador. It was 19-16. to 16. Ecuador with an unbelievable nine corner kicks in this match and unable to get anything on the score sheet as a result. And it is none other than Colombia taking all three points despite virtually being beaten every single meaningful statistic. So that tells you what statistics mean right now. So table right now in the Grupo Norte, as they're calling it, or the northern group in Copa America. All right, you have only you have four out of the five teams to that have already played. Obviously, with it being an odd number, you can't have all five teams playing. Brazil lead obviously with three points. They have a plus three goal difference. Colombia also on three points with a plus one. Peru right now in third place without having played a match. Obviously, no points, no goals against, none of that. Ecuador fourth on no points but a minus one. And Venezuela are in last place right now with a negative three goal difference. And I think their goal now is to get these games over with and get back home and not get any more cases. So that's going to close this rather long episode of of Parking the Bus, this episode 44. Thank you for joining me here for this uh, exclusive bonus segment. Um, Again, fans of South American football, do not forget, I am not ignoring South American football, no matter how much emphasis is being put on the European game. There are two games tomorrow, okay? Uh, By the time you hear this, it'll be two games today, at least, if not later. But uh, the match is coming up in Copa America now. It's from the Zona Sud, and it will be Argentina playing versus Chile, and then Paraguay versus Bolivia. I'll review review those matches in the same format in a bonus segment on Tuesday, okay? The matches are going to end too late tomorrow for me to get it into tomorrow's episode. It'll go into the next episode, all right? So on Tuesday, you'll get a a quick report of those two matches. And we'll make our way through uh, this Copa America as well as through the Euro 2020. And believe it or not, when we're done, there is the... CONCACAF Gold Cup waiting for us at the end. So much football this summer here on the Parking the Bus podcast. Thank you for joining me. I signed off in the previous uh, segment, so you know who I am. You know what you're listening to. You know where to find me. I'll catch you tomorrow here on Parking the Bus when it's time for episode 45. Good night, everybody. Enjoy. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess I feel your heart Beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight's gonna be the one Cause you fail and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be me
mad, but you might just be right Just be right 